I need to run Trend for like eight to 12 weeks. I need to run Anadrol with that. I need about 750 tests. I need to run an AI. I need to, like, I was taking, I'm all taking steroids for sure, yet none of them look like a pro bodybuilder, right? And why is that? Yet they're all doing squats and bench and deadlift and all doing bicep growth. They're all lifting weight. Why do they look so different? Even though they're on steroids and looks like they're training the same, but the main difference from what I've seen is just. Yeah, <laughs> we're back, dude. We are oh, back, yeah. homies. Happy Halloween. We've got the one, the only, he needs no introduction, Larry fucking wheels. Hey, thank um, you for having me in your humble home, brother. Happy to be on the cast. Yeah, dude. Uh, if you guys don't know, which you guys probably do, he's a world record, a world record holding powerlifter, competitive bodybuilder, once a strong man, and um, now he's going to compete in his uh, big ass bodybuilding show in a week, right? And let's not forget breaker of arms. Breaker of arms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I did arm wrestling for a few years. I still do it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the moment, I'm preparing just a little under under one week out from Ultimate Warrior in Anaheim. And then four days following that show, I'll be doing Olympian Amateur. I haven't stepped on stage in five years. And the last time I stepped on stage, I was about 265 or so. And that... <clears throat> that um, was just for fun. It wasn't me committing to the sport. It was, let's see what I can do in a few months. You know, let's see if I have what it takes to be a mass monster. And I don't. Being big enough at my height in open bodybuilding means I got to be well over 300 pounds in the off season to pack on enough muscle to be able to compete against the shorter guys like 5'8 to 5'11. I'm six foot one, just a little over. And to fill out this frame takes a lot of mass and a lot of eating. And that's something that I really struggle with. So actually me cutting down as challenging as it is, is the lesser evil when it comes to bulking. Mm. Mm. That's unlike me. I'm a fat ass at heart. So you just eat like every couple hours. I will destroy a Chinese buffet. Damn. Chinese buffet. Crab legs. Oh, crab legs. 100%. That. that shit's too slow to eat though. Yeah. 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 True, but I'm a lightweight. That's that's the thing, right? Like I have big eyes, and I think when I'm hungry, I can eat the world. But then I'll have a few bites, and okay, I'm stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay, it makes sense. Yeah, I like feel like I need to try one of everything. That's why I love the buffets, you know. Yeah, I just need everything. But then it's like one bite, and then I have a bunch of leftovers on my plate. My my mom would be mad at me because she'd be like, "There's hungry kids. Our cousins are have no money in the Philippines." Well, I mean. Shit, what are you supposed to do about that? <laughs> Dude, they send bulk buy-on boxes to the Philippines. Oh, do they? Like, yeah, oh, our family yeah. will like send big-ass boxes of just just random stuff to the Philippines. Yeah, I got to set my game up then. Shit, okay. Well, they really <laughs> got back up their game then. Yeah. But, dude, yeah, I remember five years ago when you posted that picture of you uh, at the competition. I was like, dude, Larry looks fucking nuts. I was like so stoked because I remember like seeing you lift heavy ass weight and you'd always be lean and i'm like dude this guy could be like a killer bodybuilder too and then you stepped on stage and like won your show too right yeah so the first show i won was definitely a fluke i mean under five guys in my class oh. <laughs> and overall was probably like 20 it was a super small show and i'm never proud of that and the next show was really where i put myself to the test and i did so purposely because i'm like okay let me really try and prove myself here because this first show was not competitive enough for me to feel that fulfillment. So then I did Miami Nationals, and that show was stacked. I believe, excuse me, I believe Hunter Labrada won that show. So I was placed 11th out of, I think, 
18 or so. So right smack in the middle. I mean, I didn't come in conditioned. That's for damn sure. Um, there was another guy that was my height that was like fucking like 290. On, he was enormous. I mean, I was nowhere near ready. But it was a good uh, eye opener, mm -hmm. right? Like what it takes to be competitive mm -hmm. in the open bodybuilding division. And that's why after that show, I realized, okay, for me to just be 260, 270, I really have to eat myself to feeling sick every day, waking up full, going to sleep full, right? I mean, as hard as bulking is for me, I know how to do it and I do it right, but mentally it drains me more than cutting and I just don't, I just can't stand being on the toilet all day, five, six times a day in the bathroom, mm. constipated, and then uh, the bloating and the acne from all the food and uh, all the, um, uh, what do you call it? I have total brain fog now, by the way. I'm like on like a thousand cars. Doesn't day even right now. sound like it though. <laughs> Super brain fog. So that lifestyle of being a mass monster, I tried it. And there's a video of me with like me at 300 pounds. That only lasted for two weeks. I had to give up after that. Like, this is not sustainable. I just couldn't. <laughs> and I was eating, like you guys saw, like what I ate in that video, I ate every day for weeks. And even that wasn't enough to keep me like be going, growing beyond that. And in the open division, even at that size, I still was going to come up on stage skinny, like compared to the other guys, my height, or as far as like filling out my frame, the shorter guys would have beat me every day of the week. Just, I don't have the frame uh, for open bodybuilding. So after that show, I was like, okay, this is an eye opener. I'm going to put this on the shelf for now, pursue powerlifting, move overseas. And then shortly after, Sebum comes out, right? Sebum emerges, right? And um, I realized, hmm. Like, not, it, I, I didn't feel that shit. I need to do classic now until uh, early this year. But back then, I'm like, this is something maybe in the future I can dabble in. And then, you know, he wins a few Olympias, and I see the division exploding, and those who are involved in classic physique, those who are competing, their socials are exploding, and it seems like that's where the industry is going, right? Because it's just a more healthy aesthetic look. And I'm like, hmm, that really is aligning with my goals because I'm after health and longevity now. I've dialed back my steroid doses dramatically to nearly a fraction I used to take. Mm. And as a result, I feel great. My <clears throat> blood's come back clean. I mean, my test levels are well under 1,000. I'm legitimately on TRT doses right now. Wow. Um, I am on cutters, though. Like I'm on Clenin T3, mm -hmm. right? And I'm on 25 minutes of Banabar. So it was necessary evil because truthfully, like I have a shot of winning my pro card and I'm like, okay, well, what's the bare minimum I can take to do that? And that's what my coach and I came up with. Wow. That's it. Just clean, clean three, 25 milligrams of Anavar. And 150 migs of uh, test a week. That's crazy, man. Yeah. That's a, that's very low, especially for someone your size. Anyways, I saw my potential in classic because the guys that are doing well in classic seem to be on the taller side, a bit longer frame really tight waist, like that X frame. I'm like, you know, that's kind of how I'm built. So maybe I have a shot in this division. And not to mention that I don't have to grow into the division. I can cut into the division, mm -hmm. right? Because in my off season, I sit around 265, 270 comfortably, no problem. That's eating four or five meals a day. I'm not feeling sick. You know, I'm not always on the toilet. And now, like a, a month ago, I was 270. I dropped down to... Um, well, now I'm at 239, but I have to drop to 232, which is just pulling water out of sauna or even like a water pill can get rid of that. And that's easy. So it's 
not something that my body is really going to fight me to do versus being a mass monster where my body hates being huge, right? Like anything over 270, but I was like, stop, like you, you're not doing this, right? So it's that's not sustainable. And also it's a very unhealthy, I mean, bodybuilding, any sport the highest level is unhealthy and being a mass monster is especially unhealthy, especially when you compare it to classic physique. Right. Just the more muscle you pack on, the more stress on your heart. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm like, OK, I'm engaged now. I want to have kids very, very soon this year, next year. Congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you, brother. And I'm thinking, you know, I've pushed my body to the absolute extreme limit the last decade. And now I'm going to pursue open bodybuilding and be a mass monster and rush to an early grave. Like with all the latent, uh, late bodybuilding deaths of young guys in their 20s, early 30s, dropping dead. And it's scary. So I'm like, this is, this is not the kind of risk I want to take right now. But with Classic, especially considering, as I told you, the doses that I'm on are very low, relatively speaking, and very sustainable. I can run when I'm on right now, you know, a few times a year for a few weeks, like a six to eight week prep, no problem, right? It's not going to be a rush to a grave, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, my body really likes being um, between like 240 and 260 around there that's where i sit very comfortably especially with what i'm using right now and it's just sustainable right i mean the diet is tough mentally but this is my first one in a long time and i never actually got this condition because i said i did the last show the last two shows just for fun really you know i was having cheat meals like two three times a week because i was trying to bulk into the show because i knew i was coming in small compared to the other guys so i was knowing this i was going to korean barbecue like twice a week i wasn't taking the diet serious enough to really even get conditioned um, and be stage ready. But now I did and I got feathering in my quads and my face is all sucked out and I got the Skeletor look. So I'm super dry right now. Like I'm, it's really cool seeing just how much my body has changed being um, in a significant calorie deficit like I never have before, you know? So it's a cool experiment. I don't know if even if I do win my pro card at Olympia Amateur, I'm going to do more shows after that. I want to see what kind of traction I get from the bodybuilding community and um, if it brings any more traffic to my socials in general, because it's not only for the love of the sport, but also like as a business move to bring eyes on my brand, everything I'm involved with. And also because I did say years ago, I want to get my pro card, you know, so I want to take off that box. You know, I put it out in the world. Hey, I want to get my pro card and be the strongest IPB pro bodybuilder. Right. I've broken records in powerlifting. And if I get my pro card, I feel like that really create that legacy. And I'm not sure if after the pro card, I'll have the motivation to go, okay, well, now I want to go on the Olympia stage. Oh, now I want to challenge Mr. Olympia. Like, how far do I want to take it? I can't say just yet. So I'm taking it just one show at a time. Gotcha. <clears throat> I feel like that uh, that's a common thing in the industry. A lot of people push hard in the beginning of years and then as they grow and grow and grow especially as they grow older you know your body doesn't respond as well to steroids when it comes to i'd say your your health markers Mm. your blood markers i feel like the older you get you know the more susceptible the the more dangerous it is the more you know and then at some point you know you're done with your bodybuilding career 35 40 and you should probably like stop taking steroids altogether that's the opposite of what I experienced when I focused on simply being like a fitness influencer on Instagram. So um, I've had I've had people ask me about my cycles when I was just, you know, not competing anymore. And 
I think the industry has like this huge perception that everyone in the fitness industry is just blasting as hard as possible, which I'm sure there are some guys for sure. Yeah. But I think, uh, I think it's overblown and I think it's a dangerous thing because now people are going to think that's what they should be doing if they want to get to where the people are that they are following. And that's a great point you bring up. And something that I've said before a few times, and I have to keep saying it like a broken record because I want people that are on the fence about taking steroids or not or how much they should take, right? I'm not advising anyone to take, of course, but I will say if you are and you don't want to make the same mistakes that I've made and many others have made is start at the bare minimum. When I started, I remember being on T Nation and saying, hmm, what's a beginner cycle look like? Right. And those beginner cycles that I found on these internet forums were triple what I'm taking right now. Right. And the most eye opening experience I had about how little steroids you actually need to get to a world class level physique or strength is when I did my deadlift PR last summer in Dubai. I did 929, 930 for three reps. And that whole cycle was, um, it was a, uh, 10 or 12 week cycle of just deadlifts and i was only on 500 mg of tests nothing else no insulin no trend no orals nothing just that an ai uh, not even ai just str- just straight 500 mg tests and i kid you not this was the best i've ever looked i was almost as lean as i am right now but at like 270 275 mm-hmm. i was eating whatever i wanted right my physique was insane and i bring this up because I remember adding in trend just three days, literally three days before I did the big PR and my strength shot up 10%. The week prior to adding in trend, I topped out at 880 for two reps, added in three days of trend, and then I went to 930 for three, right? So the peak was legit. And this is so important right now because when I started using 10 years ago, when I was 17, well now it's 12 years ago, Damn, 12 years. Shit. So when I started using 12 <laughs> years ago to, to make progress, I thought, okay, well, I need to run trend for like eight to 12 weeks. I need to run Anadrol with that. I need about 750 tests. I need to run an AI. I need to, like, I was taking so much more back then, yet I looked worse. I was weaker. The gains weren't coming in consistently because I was so heavily reliant on the gear that I slacked even more with training. I slacked more with my nutrition because you use the drugs as a crutch. Like, okay, I'm on X, Y, and Z. I know it's going to get me bigger and stronger anyways. And you end up not being as, at least in my experience, as committed to your nutrition and training as you should be. Now, the beautiful part about how well it worked for me last year leading up to that big deadlift period. That was the biggest period of my life in deadlift, by the way. That was my all-time best lift, right? Is that because I knew in my experience relative to me, I'm on less gear for the less gear right at, at the moment that I've ever been on in the past, yet I'm attempting to be stronger than I've ever been. I knew I have to be dialed in with my training, you know, nutrition. I mean, when I say whatever I want, I mean, I was going out and having steak and rice and, you know, eating takeout food. I would have four meals one day, five meals the next. But really what I was focusing on is training, like hitting every single rep, textbook form, doing all my volume. My coach was present every single session. And it was a solid training cycle. You know, the nutrition still could have been better. It wasn't perfect, but the training was, 
right? Because he was present every single lift, every single deadlift uh, throughout the entire prep. And then I was like, okay, I was I was just struggling to believe in the process that, oh, you know, relatively speaking, with that little bit amount of gear compared to what I've used in the past, I can become stronger than I've ever been, right? Because I'm used to hitting those big PRs on Trent or at least Anadrol and um, like 750, even a gram of test. You know, I'm used to using much more gear to achieve those lifts, to achieve, to break those PRs. So it was a real mindfuck to think, okay, I can use less than I've ever used before and still be stronger. And I was, right? So I just wish I had that information that I learned last year doing this deadlift 10, 12 years ago, right? Because it would have created a lot more longevity in the sport. I wouldn't be as burned out with powerlifting and PRs as I am right now. I mean, I wouldn't have to deal with all the side effects of like the acne and the insomnia and the mood swings and the bad blood work and, you know, the up and down libido and the mood swings and the super giant moon phase because you're on so much tests. And I hate that shit. Dude, like you can feel your neck on your chest when you bend down and tie your <laughs> shoe. I mean, like all that BS, like I could have avoided all of it. I was just, and the thing is, Every gym run I've spoke to, right, when I first started powerlifting my first few years, were running even more than I was. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, well, this isn't common knowledge. You can't really find much information that you can trust because it's the internet on the internet on T Nation or whatever form I was using back then. So I just had to use word of mouth. Okay, hey, what do you run? I run a thousand megs of trend a week. Okay, so if I run 500, I'm not running much. that was my logic back then right that was the meathead logic so that was the only education that i was able to get about about gear at the time so i in my head i thought i was using less than my competitors because the guys that were taking world records in powerlifting what i heard they were using was more than what i was using so i thought oh well if they're surviving (laughs) This is what I think. They're surviving. They're not dying off of that. I can use less and be totally fine. Right. Right. I didn't think for a second, let me just start with like the absolute bare minimum, see where that gets me, hit a wall, and then increase if I have to. Mm-hmm. Didn't even try it. Didn't even try it. Right. So that's what I wish I knew way back then. And this whole experience, as well as it went, it went well, it went splendid. Um, it's been very fruitful for me throughout my whole journey with powerlifting, body, everything, social media, everything has been, I've been extremely lucky and grateful, like very privileged position I've been in, but it wouldn't have been as uncomfortable, right? In the gym, monster, amazing. Outside the gym, everything else sucked, right? Sleep, eating, going to the bathroom, having to, everything was compromised. And at the worst of it, I remember I was on so much stuff and so big, I was 300 pounds, I was on a load of gear, I was on insulin too. I remember walking from my parking lot in Dubai Mall. I vividly remember this. I'll never forget. That's what made me stop the diet. Like, this is too much. I remember walking from my car in the parking lot five minutes into the mall. Just got, just got past the main entrance and taking a breath over the railing to catch my breath because I was exhausted. I was like, oh. did about like 100 steps. I got I catch my breath. Like that was terrible. It's like me all the time. <laughs> you could walk to zoo culture. You don't have to drive there. (laughs) (laughs) And that is, you know, that's, that's my, that's my insight about my experience with it so far and what I wish I knew back then. So I think there's this common misconception when it comes to dosaging in the industry. Right. And I think I just want to put this into people's minds and then 
maybe hopefully spark something, but I think it's very common for us when we hear someone, when we hear someone saying that they're taking like 750 or a thousand milligrams of testosterone, right? It's pretty hard not to believe them. But then when we hear someone who looks great and says that they're only taking like TRT, it's so much harder to believe them. And so I think it's just a tendency for our gen pop, the people who listen and watch content in the fitness industry to just believe that everybody who says high dosages is true. Everyone who says low dosages is lying. And we see this commonly in like a lot of comments. Like I had Eric Janicki on my pod and he was mentioning for his bulk at the time he was taking 400 tests and everyone, like not everyone, but you know, most of the comments in like reels and mini clips were like, he's lying. He's just lying, straight up lying. Yeah. <clears throat> and same thing with Chizzy. I just had Chizzy on the podcast before you. And um, of course, <laughs> lots of people calling him like a fake natty, which I can understand because he's got massive ass arms and he looks great. But yeah. I just think that there's this misconception. And the the what I understand from just drug use in general, medications, drug use in general, is it's never been that more is better for anything that you take. It's not just steroids, like Adderall. Like if you take like a hundred milligrams of Adderall or something, you're not going to, you're not going to be the limitless pill. You're probably not going to even be working correctly. Right? Like I'm probably going to have heart, heart palpitations or something. Um, and if you take too little for your dose, you're going to have a little bit of a benefit. You're probably not going to have any side effects or at least little side effects. Probably not going to be as big of a benefit as you'd like, but it's going to be there. Right. So the way that I think like we, sh we, we all understand that uh, everybody has their own dosage. Everybody responds to things differently. Some people need 50 milligrams of Adderall. Some people need five milligrams of Adderall. So when it comes to like PEDs, it really comes down in my, in, in my personal opinion and observations that you have to pick the dosage that just seems to give you the biggest benefit for the least side effects. And I gotta be real, like I'm sure Eric Janicki probably does have to take a lot more than I do. Cause he's a big, tall white guy and I'm a short, tiny Asian dude. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know? But then again, things change. Sometimes you have guys that are the same height that need to eat 6,000 calories. Sometimes they only need to eat 3,000 calories. It's double the calories. It's a big ass difference. So that's why I think comparisons are difficult and shouldn't necessarily be made. And um, like when I was doing like, when I was doing content to look shredded on fitness uh, on social media, like the smaller dosages always helped me look better. They always helped me look more appealing to the audience that I was appealing to. So what I was doing was basically TRT doses and about 300 of mass and primo. And I remember people saying that they don't believe that. Like there'd be comments like this guy's, this guy's literally got trend leaking out his ears. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you guys, I would look a lot worse. <laughs> I swear to God, I would. Whenever I started running more, I would, I would like, it was clear that I was running something. It was clear, but I would have this more like full, like kind of like swollen looking. Like it, it almost looked a little bit more inflamed, right? And then your yeah. veins are popping and then you lose the aesthetic peel that's more appealing to the masses. Yes. So. Strongly agree with that. Right. So um, to all the comments that are saying like, you know, for example, uh, like, Shizzy's like running trend and all that stuff. I just, I don't really think that's true. I really don't. And um, 
And then uh, the other the other argument I have is like if you if someone I think I think most of the time more often than not the big bodybuilders that have made it big have had time as their number one priority. Like how many years in the books have they been on the diet, PED PED regimen, training protocol, etc. With proper program, it's not like how high of a dosage can you blast in six months, but like what is the right dosage that you can continue on for like six years? Yes, well said. And just like when I did my first year of powerlifting back when I was 18 or so, I mean, it took years before I got my first world record, right? I didn't get it till I was 21. So I was four years of being a full, full time, all I care about powerlifter. And you think about that and you then carry that same concept over into bodybuilding. That means, okay, in the first year, you look pretty good, you know, maybe get first call out or maybe win your pro card. But then it's going to be years before you get to the competitive Olympia level stage, right? No one gets there in like a year. It's not, it's never fast for anyone, right? When you can be at the highest level. And when I embark on a new journey with anything that's new, it could be anything that's outside of fitness, right? That's just not in my forte that I'm inexperienced in. For example, I'm opening a gym now. I don't expect to get it all right in the first year, but if I keep at it consistently working towards being one of the best gyms that's in Southern California, year after year after year, making that my priority, eventually I'm gonna get to where I wanna be, right? I'm gonna figure it out, right? And I think bodybuilding, powerlifting, sports, Everything is no different. The same concept and principles apply to everything, right? And I have this conversation with my coach the other day is that like success is found when, you know, you spend enough time and energy at something long enough to be one of the best at it, right? And I think the ones that struggle with success are the ones that when they have their peers or maybe social media distracting them and they see opportunity left, right, and center and they keep switching professions and switching crafts every time they hear something a bit more attractive on one side, they never spend enough time mastering any one thing. So it's like, you know, they're a master of nothing. You know, they're, um, so that's, that's how I found my success in the beginning is that I just, all, I just dialed in and committed to 100% powerlifting for years. And then after I got that street cred, after I got that world record, I was able to make a career out of it. Right away, started selling ebooks with my coach, doing five-figure months. And, you know, I dropped my I dropped my job as a PT and working at security, and I was able to do that full time as a career all, all the way up until now, and hopefully, you know, forever more moving forward. So it took years though to get to that place, you know. And with bodybuilding, I mean, I may get lucky, right? Um, because I've built up my physique over a decade. And even though I haven't built it as a bodybuilder would train, I think that when um, I do these next couple of shows coming up next weekend, I have a very strong chance at winning, right? And, but going beyond that, like, okay, going to Olympia stage, winning a pro show, that could take years, you know? And, I'm, and I need to accept mentally, like if I want to commit myself to the sport, to get to the Olympia stage, I know like what it takes because I've done powerlifting at the highest level. I know what that took out of me, you know? I know the compromises I made to be there. And I don't see why it would be any different for bodybuilding. So when I see the guys like Nick Walker and Samson that made these insane transformations, right? I don't think, well, they just must be using a ton of gear. I think that they dedicated their life to the sport and they made lots of compromises over many years consistently 
right? They're not the guy that trains hard for a month and then takes a few months off and then comes back to the gym and then doesn't know what they want to do next. No, they are laser focused on one goal Mm -hmm. and that's being Mr. Olympia and that's their utmost priority. And then they understand and respect the time it takes to get to that level. And like you said, with the right dosing, the right coach and help, they can. And Mm -hmm. it may take one year, five years or 10 years, whatever it takes, they know like if they keep at it, it's just going to dramatically increase their chances year after year, the more they master their craft. But I don't think when I look at these guys that, well, they must be using like two, three grams a week of gear. doesn't mean I've heard from insiders that Nick Walker, for example, is on relatively mild doses, you know, and he may look like he's on a bottle a day, but it's from what I've heard from a trusted source, it's, not, it's so far from the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like what, what division are you competing in again? Is uh, it open or classic? Uh, classic. Classic. Okay. Fuck yeah. Good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I want to see you in classic, bro. You're going to look so sick. I, hope I so. feel like you have the superhero uh, physique. Like mm. I just need to see you in a superhero movie sometimes. <laughs> I would love that. For uh, Sam Selleck, though, I was I was thinking about this when you were mentioning um, Nick Walker in training. I feel like uh, a big reason that these guys have blown up and done so well is like you look at the way Nick Walker trains, right? And it's amazing. He's got slow eccentrics. He's always super controlled. And he doesn't really lift the weight that you would expect him to lift. But that's probably because the entire time he lifted for the purpose of bodybuilding. And when it comes to bodybuilding, everyone's like, wow, this guy's huge. He should have a lot of strength. But the fact of the matter is building muscle is, it's actually time under tension. It's like, how 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 long can you lift some heavy ass weight for? But powerlifting is like, what, like a second, like a couple seconds. Right. And that, see, I totally can relate to those that see weightlifting and see it as simple and straightforward, right? And sorry, that um, overcomplicated, right? Because when I first started with powerlifting, I thought, well, if I'm lifting big weight, my muscles are going to grow, right? And I remember struggling for years doing like a decade of incline bench press up to 600 pounds, yet having no upper chest development, right? Literally, I've done like 600 in the incline, right? Every week I've done incline press for as long as I can remember. And only until this year, when I committed to training like a bodybuilder with the slow eccentrics and time and attention and contracting throughout the whole portion of the rep and the whole range of motion, did I start seeing development in my upper chest? And now it's full. Now I got a big titty, like it's legit rounded <laughs> from top to bottom. And I, so that's just with a few months of training properly like a bodybuilder. Now imagine a few years, right? What that can do to someone's physique. So I think there are many, and I see it especially in commercial gyms, like corporate gyms, LA Fitness, for example, you see guys moving weight, lifting weights. I remember Kai Green said it best. I'm not a weight lifter. I'm a bodybuilder, mm-hmm. right? And for many years, I was just a weight lifter and I know I have great genes because considering how I was training, which was just focusing on moving weight from point A to B explosively and lifting as much weight as possible with no regard to how my physique develops, that's what I ended up having being the best at. But I was, my physique hasn't changed at all until this year throughout my entire career in powerlifting, right? But my strength has, my CNS has been stimulated a whole bunch, but for muscular development, like browning the muscles, getting more mass. I did nothing to uh, contribute to that over the last uh, few years until this year. And then I see massive changes, you know, my hamstrings, my all these problem areas that, you know, I would half-ass approach 
when I was a powerlifter just to try and have a more balanced physique. But, you know, even when I was doing these accessory movements, like hamstring curls, right, it would just be like slanging way, boom, 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 like one, two second reps. But now it's like five, six second reps. And I'm really consciously contracting. And that's what people say when they mean my muscle connection, right? Like every single rep I do now for this whole prep, every single rep, I'm consciously contracting the muscle I'm trying to grow. Whereas as a powerlifter, I never did that. I just said, I want to get this weight from here to there, you know, and however I do it is not that important. You know, I know what it's supposed to look like as I do it and the basic premise of it, but the time and attention was never integrated. It was always just lift explosively because I want to be strong. What is your, what did the, what exactly changed in your training from shifting from powerlifting to bodybuilding? Main thing is time and attention. Right. And there's consciously focusing on contracting the muscle I'm trying to grow, especially with incline bench, which is just the best example I can use because that's where I've seen the most development this year is in my upper chest. Right. It's legit. It's legit completely transformed night and day. There was nothing up there until this year. And it came fast. I'm talking about like for between January when I started doing it correctly, which was okay, three second eccentric two to three second um, concentric and contracting got consciously, okay, I got to squeeze the whole time, right? About three months, I started seeing changes, right? And then it makes me take a step back and look at the big picture and look at the community as a whole, bodybuilding as a whole, and think about the guys like Nick Walker that had insane transformations. And you think about how much time they've spent dedicating to bodybuilding and lifting properly as a bodybuilder, like how many years? And then it starts to all come together and make sense. Like, okay, well, if I got those kind of gains in just a few months in my upper chest as a bodybuilder, then imagine five years or 10 years training like that, mm-hmm. you know, and making that a priority. So it helps paint the picture about why bodybuilders look the way they do and why basically everyone else looks like a weightlifter. Right, because I don't know any other athlete that trains with the slowest centrics and concentrics like bodybuilders do. Like, think about strongman, arm wrestlers, uh, powerlifters, uh, football players, soccer players. All of them look like weightlifters, but then only bodybuilders have those round muscle bellies and everything's full and engorged, and they have that shape. Only bodybuilders have that shape. Yet everyone's lifting weight. Right, footballers. You go to football, any football team in America, yeah, and a lot of people are probably taking steroids. They're all right. There are a lot, of, a lot of them all taking steroids for sure. Yet none of them look like a pro bodybuilder, right? And why is that? Yet they're all doing squats and bench and deadlift, and they're all doing bicep curls. They're all lifting weight. But why do they look so different? Even though they're on steroids and looks like they're training the same, but the main difference from what I've seen is just those slow reps. Yeah. For sure. I think you are a beautiful example of that too. Um, just being able to state the fact that you had done cycles such as like 750 tests and however much of trend and everything else. And you yourself are saying that you did not see your physique change. Yes, like, exactly. Even on, even on with the two gram a week total cycle, I remember doing incline bank again, every week struggling to grow up upper chest. I always, cause I see what my flaws are. And one the biggest one being the upper chest, right? It's just right there in your face, you know? And even on that much gear, if you're not training correctly, like I wasn't to grow my upper chest, it won't grow. But on TRT doses, which I'm on now, and it's exploded in just a few months, a few short months, 
right? Mm-hmm. A few short months. So, you know, when I see the comments years ago and they say, slow the reps down, I'm like, shut up. Like, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> shut up, dude. <laughs> yeah, shut up, you know? But now I'm like, damn, gosh, I should listen to you. Because I, I just didn't realize how important it was. I just always thought it didn't, it just wasn't that important. I assumed I just didn't have it in my genetics to develop my weak points, like my calves, my upper chest, triceps, hamstrings, right? These areas that need attention. I just thought, well, I mean, I've been training for so long and it's, it hasn't changed. And I feel like I know what I'm doing when it comes to training. So I guess I just don't have it in my genes. But right. it's just, I wasn't training as a bodybuilder. I do have an argument for that though, that I I think it's very hard for us to want to commit to one thing because we all want to be everything. Like looking at you and Sam Selleck, for an example, people love to see how fucking amazing you guys are. You guys are fucking jacked, shredded, got great portions, and you're strong out of your fucking minds, dude. But like then everyone I know doesn't really want to just like everyone wants to be shredded and huge at the same time. So it's a really hard decision for us to choose between bulking or cutting. I think decisions, making committed decisions is a hard thing in life in general. Um, And you can apply that to so many different things, relationships, sport, um, bodybuilding. But I think it comes down like this is also seen in like, say, becoming strong versus being a bodybuilder, having a great physique versus being strong. Like a lot of people want both. Maybe some people commit, can commit to one, but I think if you want to become the boat, the best at both, you really have to commit like separate programs specifically for powerlifting and then a separate program specifically for bodybuilding. You can't like train for both all the time. And um, I, I think if you want to, like you have to commit yourself to one for sure. You can't do both at the same time. And I remember saying that in the past when I was asked, well, how do I look like you and do what you do? And I say, well, you do one prep at a time. You do a powerlifting prep for two to three months. You take a couple weeks off, maybe a month if you're if you're crazy, and then you jump right into the next prep. Mm. And it's bodybuilding, right? Because it takes time for you to atrophy. You know, if you go from making some serious bodybuilding gains, right, and then you have a couple of months where you do a powerlifting prep, those gains aren't going anywhere. Right, especially if you're on PEDs, like you're, like this upper chest is not going anywhere, like for quite some time. I'd have to go months and months and months without training it for it to disappear, right? Um, so that's where you can find that balance, and that's how I was able to look like a you know decent bodybuilder, um, not like a, a competitive pro, but still be as strong as I was because I never did bodybuilding and pouting at the same time. Right when I did that bodybuilding show, uh, I wasn't training as uh, well. Here's the here's the thing that gets complicated. Like I wasn't trying to train as a powerlifter. I wasn't doing heavy volume. I wasn't lifting chains and bands and using powerlifting equipment. Um, I did do that huge squat, but that was just for fun, right? I was just having a good time. You know, I wasn't trying to do both. I was trying to be a bodybuilder. I was trying to do what I thought bodybuilders need to do with, with their training, right? Um, so that's what led me to being a good hybrid athlete is one than the other, you know, not simultaneously. And, and that's trying to do, even trying to do one than the other, one's going to have a compromise. 
because you're going to lose to the guy every time that's all year round committed to that one goal. When you're juggling even just two goals, when you're split, like you're just spreading yourself thin, right? So it's like, how far do you want to take it with either discipline as a bodybuilder or powerlifter? Do you want Mr. Olympia and also get a world record in powerlifting? Well, you can't do both, right? You have to commit to one goal. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not being the next Mr. Olympia. Like I, I should have made that decision a long time ago if I wanted to do that. And maybe I could have, right? But now to try and say, I'm going to Mr. Olympia, like after I just spent 10 years trying to be a powerlifter, you know, um, it would be like mission impossible, you know? Like I, I, I would, and not only that, but I wouldn't be able to commit for as long as it would take to even have a chance to place top three or top five or first call at the Olympia stage from where I'm at now to just not, yeah, to damn near drop everything to do that. It's not going to happen. So I set realistic expectations for myself and I asked those that watch and listen to do the same, right? Um, if you want to juggle multiple sports, then you have to accept that you're not going to be the very best at either one, you know, because the guy that's dedicated to just that one discipline, that one sport, that one goal is going to beat you every time. Mm. Jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah. Um, I have one, one thing for, uh, for the sake of being a devil's advocate for the, for the people listening, if they've had these thoughts as well, but do you happen to have any experience with GH and what are your thoughts on GH and muscle bellies? Yeah. And honestly, I never used it consistently long enough to see anything. Honestly, I haven't seen anything when it comes to my midsection, which I thought I could use it for to get a bit trimmer. Uh, I haven't seen uh, any growth from it. I, Mm. I haven't seen any change in my body composition. So, and I tried it a couple times between like three and six month long cycles, uh, anywhere from like four to eight IU a day. And I never saw anything that was noticeable anywhere. Even in a six month cycle, you never notice any difference from yeah. day one to after six months? Zero difference. Hmm. Yeah, nothing. Maybe the growth, I'm quite confident the growth I was getting was real. I mean, there were gentropin pens, you know, they were sourced from what I was told a pharmacy grade. And I never saw any results from that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Did you ever feel anything like any, a little bit of lethargy or? So I did get the swelling in my hands and feet, but then I read that that could just be the sodium in it. I, like there's some growth that's actually is fake and it's just like, a, it'll make you swollen, but it mm-hmm. won't actually do anything that growth's supposed to do. It's like, it's like fake growth. So it could have been fake, right? Maybe every time I took it, it wasn't real because, mm-hmm. or I just didn't take it long enough. And that's where I go back to being consistent. If I would have consistently taken that same growth over not just a few months, but a few years. Now, maybe we're talking about seeing something significant, like some real significant changes, mm-hmm. right? But taking growth, like it's it's a lifestyle. Like as a bodybuilder, those guys, I believe, take it like all year round, right? Yeah, though I have been advised and it's probably smart to cycle it maybe like six months and take some time off just for the sake of not being dependent. But also um, something... You could also do like one day off each week or two days off each week to help you with insulin resistance from that you'd build up from the growth and some other factors. Or you can just keep up in the dose. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, we're advised not to run growth all year round or take tests all year round. But I think most of us, when we have the means to do it, we we do it anyway. The fuck says don't take tests all year round. What is this shit? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when you first, when when I first started, I was told, yeah, run it in cycles. And I tried that, you know, and that was terrible. It was miserable. Never doing that again. And, (laughs) but that was what I was advised to do. 
And with growth, same thing. I was advised to just go three to six months and then take a break. But I'm pretty confident the guys that are getting benefits from it, if there's mm. any to be seen, are using it nonstop, just like with testosterone. They're taking it religiously, consistently, all year round. So you didn't even notice that it like at least kept you from not getting fat as much? No, and that's why I was taking it as well. To, but honestly, it didn't make any difference. I mean... I get less fat when I'm on more tests, right? When I'm on 500 tests, I'm a fat burning machine. I have a photo comparison even from like TRT to like 500 tests. And I'm like 15, 20 pounds heavier and leaner and drier. And Are on you drier on 500 tests? Even drier, Oh, dude, bro. I had to ask about that. You were on 500 tests and you took no AIs. What, yeah. what was your estrogen at? Oh, dude, I got to pull the paper for you, but I can send you after so you can add it to the episode. Is it live? It's not live, is it? No, it's not live. Yeah. That would be so, sick, though. Yeah. So um, I never had issues with my estrogen being too high. It was always like slightly elevated, but um, I may just be naturally tolerant. So that's the thing, too, right? Like your tolerance to gear, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the sides I faced, despite what I was running, were never too bad. I mean, I did get some acne in my back, which was left some scars. But like my bloods never came back too erratic, and I never had to use an AI even when I was on 750 a week. Dude, honestly, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of sad that I never ran more because like now that I'm finally running a normal amount of like, what would you actually, what more plates has said as a beginner bodybuilding dose, I my bloods are coming back great. Like I am oh, taking yeah. a Zetamide, but I added that, but that's because that's a medication that's known to have almost no side effects. So and that helps your lipids, helps your uh, LDL decrease. But other than that, like healthy eating, doing some cardio and everything, like, my bloods are always coming back good. And um, that brings me to a point that I want to bring up. But uh, there was something, there's so many things that I want to like ask you about. Um, oh, first for the GH though. It, so it wasn't actually from a HRT company or a pharmacy. Well, I was, I was told it was from a pharmacy. That's what I was told. <laughs> okay. You know, so I'm not 100% confident it was legit. And I was hoping it would help me keep my body fat low. But honestly, that just comes down to diet. Yeah. You know, I don't think, like, because see, if I, if if it was doing its job, I mean, how would I tell if I'm not consistent with my nutrition? Like, mm -hmm. I may have one day where I'm eating junk and the one day I'm eating clean. And then I might think, oh, well. Too many variables. Yeah, too many variables. So it's, I, I couldn't measure how it was working. I couldn't see anything. Okay. feel anything. Yeah. What about, if you don't mind me asking your experience with uh, UGL versus like pharmaceutical grade, like test and steroids and other you know peds well ugl it's just again with the consistency thing like you just don't get consistently accurate doses sometimes it may say 200 and it's really like 100 or maybe it's 200 on the label but 300 like you just don't know because it's not regulated right it's not pharmaceutical grade it's not it's not um it's not regulated so you just are taking a gamble it might be totally fake Right. And you just might one day get that bad batch when you need it most, when you're doing a show in a few weeks and you think you're running real gear and maybe everything is real. But that one compound that's really important, like you have your real test, your real Anivar, but then maybe you need some Primo and some Clan and that's fake. Mm -hmm. But you got all from the same place. So it's like you're just taking a gamble. You just don't really know. And then a lot of the time you get it from UGL. And the brand won't be consistent. Like, well, this month I have this brand. And the next time you get it, maybe I have that brand. So it's like, uh, I never heard of that brand. Like, trust me, bro. <laughs> trust me, bro. Trust me. This just buy it, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I actually just had a pod with a Terrence Ruffin, you know. 
um, Rough Diesel. Mm-hmm. Fucking amazing classic physique. But yeah, he was just saying, yeah, he's nice. um, you know, he's prepping for the Olympia right now. And uh, he believes that he lost a little weight because apparently the stuff that he was taking and that he's gone and a bunch of other people had gone had all figured out that the shit was bunk. And the guy got in trouble for it, the guy who was, like, you know, selling the products. But um, basically, like, yeah, this this UGL stuff was absolute shit. So, and they're prepping for Olympia. This This is, is like, a big-ass deal. Bro, this is the shit, though. I mean, look, if there's a way to do it, right, if there's a way to do it right, it's to get it on a prescription. It's to go to Mm -hmm. an HRT clinic, right? These clinics now have found loopholes where... You can get have. whatever you need, like legitimately pharmacy grade, right? So find that, you mm-hmm. know, getting it UGL, you might save a little money, but then w- when you need it most, it will be fake. I don't know how, <laughs> my, I don't know if we're really allowed to say this, but I know that you're with Transcend too, but like low key, dude, like <laughs> when I tried the uh, Anavar Troche that they had, bro, that shit blew my brains out, man. I'm like, this is twice as strong as any Anavar I've ever taken. This is nuts. Bro. Same thing with their MK. I took their MK and I couldn't take the full dose. I was like, my heart was like, like beating harder and like my fucking face was blowing up i'm like yeah this shit's too strong i can't take this yeah it's crazy it's, it's but that's the difference of like real and bunk you just real stuff you know exactly what you put in your body and if you the more control you have over what goes in your body the better it just you gel just fear you know you just don't know you just you can't possibly know and the source is literally trust me bro that's the source you have to trust some dude that you don't know that just happens to sell gear to some bodybuilders and then you think well he hasn't been killed yet so mm-hmm. because he's selling fake shit and he's not locked up yet it must be good but there's going to be the one time where it's not mm-hmm. right i've gotten fake stuff once right and i was taking i don't remember what it was but i remember it was fake and i found out because i've taken this compound before how long was this ago this was a couple years ago in dubai actually okay you know and this guy has came through many times right this is how it happens, right? Most of the time, it's going to be real. And if you, I went through like several orders with him. This is before Transcend, several orders. And everything was legit, great results, usual shit, you know, nothing new. It was reliable. And then one day, it just was fake. It was it was bunk. And then I remember uh, that same time, I was uh, giving it to an athlete I had come out for arm wrestling. And... It was fake for him too. He didn't feel anything. And th- so it's like you you just put a lot on the line when it's UGL. There's a lot on the line, especially as a competitive athlete. I mean, if you're not an athlete, like why are you using steroids anyways, right? If you're not making a career out of it, what's the point? But so if you are an athlete, it's all the more reason to do the due, due, due diligence and find a clinic that can get you prescription grade. I'll stop. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'm saying this right now, but, um, you know, since I'm running more tests than TRT does now that I'm bulking, uh, you know, you can only get so much test from your HRT clinic. So, um, when I don't have that and I run out of it, I have to resort to this other, you know, to another test that I get that's not, um, pharmaceutical. Hope no cops are listening to this, but, um, (laughs) basically dude. I, uh, I found this test that I had way back when, when I was like competing for my show. Well, not competing for my shows. I didn't start injecting until after my last show. But um, it was sometime after that I decided, oh, hey, I got this. You know, I spent money on it, so I might as well use it, even though it's been probably like a year or a year and a half or a couple of years or something. Um, and bro, like I, uh, I'm i bloating, um, starting to get more acne, uh, just more water retention. I'm like getting heavier and I feel 
I just don't feel as great. And it's weird. And I keep wanting to tell myself like, what if this is just like, it's just in my head, but this shit's literally happening. And it's crazy because same dose of test. It's just testosterone, but I'm feeling a difference hmm. just from pharmaceutical to not pharmaceutical. Right. And that's mostly probably because the you Joseph is just underdosed. It's not the dose that it says it is. Right? I feel like it's also like the oils and the, what it could be, um, what it's a, like substrate is. Yeah. Hmm. Could be that as well. Okay. So since we were talking about this earlier, what are your thoughts on Sam Selleck? I think he's bringing back that old stuff that, let me restart. I think he's bringing back OG YouTube back when it was very raw, unfiltered, no editing, no camera crew, uh, no professional camera even. I'm quite confident he just filmed with his iPhone. And I've only seen a mere... Is it really his iPhone? It looks like his iPhone. I mean, it, look, it doesn't look like he's filming like an R5 or something fancy. I feel like it's just his iPhone. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I respect it so much because his costs are zero and he's exploding. Like he's done so much in so little time, right? And... I think you said it best, honestly, he's like Rich Piana's second coming, right? He has built that cult following overnight. Um, he's super transparent. Everyone loves about him. And what I noticed in the comment section, when I, that's, that's my favorite part of his videos, just going to the comments. He, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. And I see people really respect that he's not, he doesn't have a dozen different brands he's trying to endorse. He's not mm -hmm. shoving product and service in your face. And it, cause I think he's like one company he's with right now. Yeah. Which, um, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's Valwad's company. Yeah. Subs. Yeah. He's with one company. I mean, he could have 10 lined up by tomorrow morning, right? right. I'm sure he does. And I think that's a really big part of it too, mm -hmm. right? People are rooting for the underdog, you know, like I think the more, and this could be talking out of my ass, but the more established you become as an influencer, as a creator, right? All these brand deals and endorsements, it becomes like very commercial, corporate. They kind of lose that authenticity. Absolutely hate it. Yeah. Every time my supplement companies or whoever asks me to push things, I'm just like, I fucking don't want to, dude. Like, I don't want to. Like, I'll use them, but like, that's about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And that's where I think social media really served its purpose for companies with influencers is just brand awareness. But online sales... For example, like we've, I was speaking with a very successful gym owner the other day, and he said like three percent of the people that sign up online. Sorry, th yeah, on, on, the people that sign up online, only three percent of them are from social media, right? And that's very powerful because he has a lot of influence going to his gym, and only three percent actually sign up online from social media. And also uh, with um, a couple of brands I've spoken to about their experience with ambassadors is that a very small percent of them uh, actually convert into sales. So it doesn't seem like that's really even the best approach for brands as far as like to hire an influencer and expect them to earn tens of thousands, a hundred thousand dollars in revenue, right? Um, off of a code, because I feel when people see an ad, which is obvious straight away in their feed, they just go right past it. Because imagine how many of them they see every day when they're scrolling, how many influencers promoting products and clothes and subs. And because everyone now that has like over 10K followers has a sponsor of some some sort, right? At mm -hmm. least a supplement sponsor usually or clothing sponsor. And, you know, we're, we're all 
shoving these products in their face and we've, we're all doing it, right? But Sam isn't, right? But he's in the position where he easily can do that. And I'm sure he would actually convert, right? Because he has that super strong, loyal fan base now. And, but he chooses not to. And I mean, at some point, we'll have to find a way to monetize beyond what he's doing now, right? I mean, ad revenue on YouTube isn't sustainable long-term. So I'm sure he's gonna, mm-hmm. he's gonna figure that out, right? I mean, he's gotten this far this quick. He's a smart man. He knows what he's doing, I guess. Um, and I have faith in him figuring out the process. So I wonder how that would change, if it will, when he starts doing his own, maybe he'll come up with his own products, you know, and maybe that will hit different than like being an ambassador for another company. Right. And my experience, I find that, yeah, like your own company that people know you started from scratch, people will support much more than you being an ambassador for someone else's company because they want to support you at the end of the day. I agree, yeah. I think that's true too, but I think other, maybe some other creators can, can relate to me, but I feel like it is really hard to get on that train when you're like so obsessed about your editing or just so obsessed about your content, you just feel like you don't have any time to to even start something. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the that's where the um the partnerships come in handy. Yes. It's like if your primary focus is like your content and creating good ass just good ass videos. It helps. Yeah. And when I was in Dubai, and this is relevant to what we we're just talking about with Sam, I focus solely on content. There was nothing else that was important to me as far as business, um, starting anything up beyond what I did with um, trend sourcing, which is my brand PR. Only, my biggest those priority. Those are awesome, by the way. Oh, thank you. When bro. I was ripping out those hundreds, dude, I was like, holy <laughs> shit, I feel like I doubled my reps. Bro, there's such a cheat code, honestly. It's totally cheating, but I love it. Um, when I was in Dubai, my biggest priority was making content. Mm. And uh, gassy today, even though I only had salad, it's weird. So <laughs> it, my biggest priority was content and nothing else was as important. So I've gone through these stages in life where I made different things a priority, where I've committed myself 100% to a particular goal. And every time I do that, when that switch flips, right, I get results every time. I remember I did that between 17 and 21. I got my... I got multiple world records in powerlifting. Then I moved to Dubai and I earned more money in ad revenue than I ever have before. You know, I saw opportunity with the pandemic, right? People were at home consuming tons of content, nothing else to do. And everyone was coming to Dubai for uh, collaboration. So I was obsessed with just, I was uh, dropping bits like every other day, you know, Um, consistently for like years, the whole time I was in Dubai, right? But since I moved back here, Right, my channel and everyone sees it. I'm sure is not as active. I only post once a week now, uh, and it's not a priority anymore, right? Because now I have several projects. For example, I'm part owner of White Rabbit. I have a new gym coming in Claremont, OG Gym. Um, I have a new supplement line that I'm partnering with BPI PR Supplements and all these other projects. And I'm trying to um, build up PR accessories as well. I have a new patent belt coming out. So several products and shameless plugs that I'm working on right now and it's taken away from my time and energy for content because now I'm like, okay, um, I had my time as a Sam Sulek where it was like my 15 minutes of fame, right? I was in everyone's feed every day, hitting PRs every week, trending hard. And I didn't make the most of it, right? So now I'm like, okay, well, I still have some spotlight, some attention. Let me focus on creating long-term wealth 
and security financially for my family, for myself. Um, and that can only be done with a good product or good service, mm-hmm. right? And that's the ones that I just mentioned. So it's it's not that I can't do both, right? I'm sure it can be done, but I find that you only become one of the best at something when you're just 100% committed. I mean, how else can you yeah. do it, right? Mm-hmm. Sam right now, I see it. He's there's no way. I mean, I I could be wrong, but I've been there too. There's no way this man has time or energy to put into anything else like he's putting into content right now. That is one from what I see every single day uploads, yeah. right? How many hours he spends editing those uploads himself. I mean, even just brainstorming the ideas and topics for the video every single day. Hard to imagine he can put that same time and energy, that same TLC into a business venture right now. Do you think people are underestimating how much time it takes? Plus people probably think, oh, he's just speaking out of his mind, but I'm sure without a doubt that these are thoughts that he has before he does the video too, you know? Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I love to see it. You know, I'm wondering how far he's going to get. Like, will it ever slow down? Is he just going to keep getting a hundred K subs every week just indefinitely? Because the community is only so big, right? It's, mm-hmm. At some point he's yeah, going to tap out. So big. He's going to hit a ceiling, right? Maybe three, four mil. Because no one in the fitness community on YouTube has over, I think, four million followers. I think Jesse's at the top right now. Or like Will Tennyson. But that's also because, yeah, their following isn't just bodybuilding. It's right. so broad. Yeah, they're really mainstream. They happen to be into fitness, but they're like more like Mr. Beast. Like they're just anything and everything. So I'm like, how big could his channel really get? I'm Hey, I'm here for the ride. I want to see what happens, where mm-hmm. he goes, where he takes it. And considering that I'm in the same line of work, I've respected, you know, to the fullest and what he's doing is really inspiring. You know, it makes me want to give content more TLC. But then I realized, like, again, like the content that I've created over the years is forever. And now is my opportunity to transition into more of a businessman and create longevity. Because the content thing is, it's like, I think we all have that window, you know? I mean, there are exceptions to every rule, but I find that we all have that window of opportunity. And this is the best time in his life for opportunity for him right now. Like, if he can do both, like, he can keep the traction on social media and start like a new, quality any product any product that's like original patented something that's like unique to him or service i mean he's going to be set for a life like he has the whole industry watching his every move right now like this is critical critical timing for him if he can do this like now versus later you know when things maybe slow down or he just you know decides to put time and energy into business and then like things gradually die down on youtube i mean like this is like such a good time for him so i'm really curious what he's going to do with it you know, because lately I spent a lot of time this year thinking about things I would have done differently as an entrepreneur throughout the years of being a YouTuber and everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, if I had the eyeballs on me like I did back then and exactly uh, the things that would have, like how I would have used that attention differently. Like I didn't realize what I had till I didn't have it, you know, not that I don't have eyeballs now, but like back in 2018 or 19, for example, like. <laughs> there's a few things I would have done differently, you know? So I'm like, I wonder what he's going to do, you know? Cause he, I see myself in him. Like I've been there, you've been there where you have like your, your peak moment in social media and everyone's watching you and you know, and then it fades right naturally. What goes up must come down. So it's like, I wonder what he's going to do now at his peak. You know, he's doing this crazy cut. Then he's going to probably go on stage at some point 
you know, and they get another massive wave of support and followers. So I'm like, he has a really bright future ahead. So, I mean, as far as like him as an individual and like what he preaches, I don't watch him enough to know and speak on it, but I just see outside the box looking like as a content creator, as like a entrepreneur that he's going to be like really curious what he's going to do with it. We'll get right back to the podcast in a second, but I just wanted to take this break to thank you guys immensely because this podcast is my favorite content to create and I couldn't have done it without you guys. Contributing to it will further help its growth and allow us to listen to more amazing guests such as the one you're listening to today. So if you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by rating us a five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcast or subscribing to the YouTube channel. And if you would like to help fund the podcast, you can do so by using Nile for a discount off of Young LA Clothing or Huge Supplements. Thank you guys again so much. We'll be right back to the podcast. I think we all feel that though. I think we all think that. I think it's very common for us to look back on our life and be like, what if? Like, I missed this opportunity, could have taken advantage of this. Uh, I knew Tesla was going to blow up. I should have fucking invested in it when I didn't. You know, we always think that. But in the grand scheme of things, like, I think we need to be a little easy on ourselves and realize we can only do so much, though. Because I'm sure without a doubt, back in the day when you were blowing up, you were doing everything you could, right? Right. You were working your ass off, bro. And that's what I try to remind myself too, because I'm I'm always finding myself like disappointed, like oh, I know I should have done this, I could have done this, could have taken advantage of all of these things. But bro, I was working, I was working nonstop to the point where I was like, I was just losing connection with my friends because I wouldn't even see anybody. I was just like locked up in my room, like editing and then working out and then doing things and also being a little irritated because I'd be on Mastron and stuff from like <laughs> fucking nine to midnight. Yeah. So uh, I think. Uh, I think we, I think there's a sense of like us being a little easy on yourself, but in regards to health measures and everything, what are your thoughts on, oh, by the way, I, I forgot to mention this earlier, but when I was running, like when I was running like TRT with um, the other stuff I was mentioning earlier, my estrogen was super low. So it wasn't, wasn't very healthy. Like it was like low end of the reference range. So just a little heads up. But um, in regards to like Sam Sulek, his health, um, like what he's doing bodybuilding wise. Do you happen to have any thoughts on that? <clears throat> hmm. The first thing that comes to the first thing that comes to mind is if you're going to be a if you're going to go push your body to the extreme on anything, whether it's drugs, training, nutrition, the best time to do it is while you're young, and the younger the better. Yeah. That's the, you're because his body is so resilient now. Yeah. Right. He can withstand a lot of torment. The human body is strong, right? We can with, withstand a lot, but especially when we're in our early 20s. And going into my 20s, I knew this. And that's why I was as reckless as I was, right? I knew that this is the time of my life, right? Everyone says that when you're young, you can get away with so much, right? Because your body rejuvenates so quickly and you're so resilient. And so I took advantage of that. Right. And sure, I dealt with sides and it was uncomfortable and it was definitely dangerous because I wasn't educated. I should have been using what I was using, doing what I was doing. But I wouldn't have done it any differently when it comes to that. Because imagine if I decided now, right, for the first time to use gear, how things would turn out differently versus when I was 17. Not that I'm saying if you're a teenager, you should use gear. But that's, as a fact, that's the time when you're going to be the most resilient right? To, to using gear, to training. Also, when you're going to be the most ambitious, right? I mean, who as an 18 year old kid or 21 year old kid is not motivated to take over the world? You know, 
I feel like, I mean, I'm still ambitious now, but that hunger, the energy I had just day to day was so much more back then. It definitely died down a bit for sure, without a question, you know, especially once you start living a comfortable life and, you know, you're not worried about the roof over your head or food in your stomach anymore, right? You're living comfortable, you're not living check to check, right? You're not as hungry as someone like maybe Sam is or the next kid that's trying to make it in the industry that's maybe living on the poverty line. So I see it as like, he sure is pushing the boundaries and he's taking a risk, but no risk, no reward, right? Um, and he has the right mixture of charisma and um, creativity, I think, to get to the top of the industry. And only time will tell if his health is going to hold up. I think just because how young he is, it will. Right. And I think that if there was to be any issues, it would already be showing itself. So it's possible he may be experiencing issues already, but not talking about it. But it seems like he's doing just fine. Right. But how much is he telling us about his health? You know, like how much of it? And if when he does talk about it, how much of that is true? Like, is it 100 percent true? Is it something he's maybe leaving out? at the moment so you know we only know so much because we only know what he tells us but i just know from experience i wouldn't have changed anything regarding i mean i would have because the other thing right you can't be so hard on yourself in the beginning of the podcast i said well you know i wish i knew what i knew but at the same time like you you can only do so much with the information you have at the time that you're making a big decision like going on steroids you know so back then when i decided to hop on, like I was so driven to be the best in powerlifting. I was like, well, I understand I don't know enough about gear to use it, but I'm gonna do whatever it takes to be at the top, right? And I think Sam possesses that mindset as well, that whatever it takes mentality, like whatever it takes, whatever that means, he's gonna do it. And that that mindset is unhealthy, but at the same time, can you be the best in the world at anything without it? Right. And not just anything like as a athlete, but maybe even as a like professor, as a educator, right. They push themselves to the limit too, right. Teachers, right. Doctors, like people that end like the other side of the, you know, people outside of our industry, like they kill themselves too. Like right? they don't eat enough. They don't sleep enough. Right. They stress, you know? So it's like, if you're trying to be the best at anything, like, can you do that without having that whatever it takes mentality? Yeah. So I really highly support him in his journey. In fact, honestly, when he came, when he came out and I first saw his content, I was like, aside from the, uh, the ego lifting posts, <laughs> I honestly, like, I just felt like he was a great representation that like hardcore bodybuilding can still be a thing. And it just excited the shit out of me because I started getting worried that like there was too much uh, negative connotation with taking PEDs and stuff that it was like really affecting people who just wanted to compete because there's all this talk about like, oh, don't, you know, like natty or not. And, you know, fucking like, I don't know. There's just so many comments regarding steroids now these days, as opposed to like five years ago, it's like way more. Right. So, I mean, I really, really support his journey and I, I think he's got a great personality and is doing well, but I think uh, part of the, a big part of what is so controversial right now is for example, like his diet and I guess the side effects that he's inducing himself as he's running, whatever he's running. So I don't know if you happen to know much about his diet. Well, it seems like he just eats whatever he wants as long as it's in his macro. So it doesn't matter if it's fat food or not. Yeah, I think so. 
think like donuts and like yeah donuts and five guys and chocolate milk and cereal it's hard to deny the results <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to deny the results right no I mean, seriously he looks fucking sharp right so i'm sure you would understand too being like a hard gainer having to eat so much food that you just can't can't handle and yeah and i think well i spoke about bulking versus cutting before but it's gross man it's like you you have your favorite food every day and you eventually hate it Mm -hmm. you have your favorite food like four or five days in a row and you're sick of it by the fifth day sixth day you know so he's shredded right now too like he he is absolutely shredded i'd be shocked if within the next year he doesn't go on stage you know he genuinely has potential in the sport yeah i think so too you know and, and it's crazy because he doesn't technically his training hasn't even been um focused on just bodybuilding i feel like if you focus all his training on not just doing like eight rep sets as heavy as possible for as many reps as possible like his strength wouldn't be as high but i think he would be fuller and bigger yeah and see that's what i struggle with most as a bodybuilder and i think i've said this before on my channel where as a bodybuilder, people have expectations because of how you look, how much you should lift. And the camera was always rolling as long as I can remember. From the second I started my lifting journey, I was recording everything from when I was seven, from when I was 18. I was recording like almost every top set, every lift. And as a bodybuilder, now this year has been the best time for me training as a bodybuilder because no one's watching. I'm training in a private gym, so no one's judging me. They're all aspiring bodybuilders i'm not recording every single workout so when the camera's off i can just throw on two three plates on the bench i can do seven you know go super slow right and do what i'm supposed to be doing but when the camera's on and they see oh well larry's only lifting x amount of weight he used to do this much weight what happened to him he's what's wrong this is not i missed the old larry and it's like guys this is just part of the process you know for me to achieve what i'm trying to achieve in bodybuilding there must be a compromise, right? I can't lift like a weightlifter and look like a pro bodybuilder. So I have had the best training since I've been able to turn off the camera um, for most of my workouts and lift weight that is, I mean, like I'm doing like 50 pound dumbbell curls, super slow. I can lift a hundred, I can get them up, but I'm not gonna see any development in my biceps. Do you have the do you have to lift significantly less weight now with your torn bicep? Or? Only when I'm fully supinated and it's like five percent less. So it's a very small okay, difference. Okay. But is that on purpose or is that just like the actual physical difference? That's the actual difference. Okay. Yeah. Um I think I just I think I found this online or something. I think uh, there was like some blog or something that said that you had a tear yeah. between your it was the bicep and the tendon, not tendon of the bone. It was actually, yeah, the muscles in the tendon. Oh, that's crazy. Wait, so, but you don't actually have to lift less with that? Like, so I don't have to, but I'll, it'll never be more than 95%. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, I think, um, I really do love what he's doing, but I think the biggest concern, and I, unfortunately, as as touchy of a subject as it is, I totally agree with you that like, if you want to become the biggest and the best, then it, it is a good idea to start young. Um, but uh, I think the concern is like, while you're young, you know, you can eat all this food and do all these things. But if you continue to do it for the next 10 years, I think that's where you're probably going to see your lifespan significantly shorten. Yeah. Because I, I just created a, a solo on this, but 
essentially talking about all the different factors that affect um, your heart health in the long run. You know, the endothelial layer within your uh, arteries, the plaque that build up and just a host of other issues like diet isn't the number one thing. You know, you should also have activity and cardio and like a VO2 max, but diet definitely affects it significantly, especially if the diet is bad like that for years, for years. And I think part of him getting all this attention at the moment is lots are waiting to see the train derail. They see a young 20-year-old kid on a lot of gear. Well, they assume to be. They assume he is on a lot of gear. And they're waiting for something to go wrong, right? I think there's a lot, there's a big, crowd that's waiting for something to go wrong too that fucking sucks dude yeah i see it in the comments i see it in the comments man yeah like he's gonna die at this age he's you know he's doing this and that he's gonna have all these issues with his health so i think lots are just waiting like okay when's he gonna have a problem i really fucking hope it doesn't though because yeah i think he could be such i mean i think he is a great example i just there is definitely a, a level of worry and concern for anyone that's watching yeah we sound like worried parents. We do, <laughs> we do, bro. <laughs> Honestly, oh. but I just like want to see this this sport grow. Like I love Chris Bumstead so much because he's just been such a great example that I believe that the bodybuilding sport has grown because of his existence. Oh, I believe it. And I mean, I, where did he get those twenty million followers from? Yeah, like, the community is not that big, so it's he's not. tapped into mainstream. <laughs> no, seriously, it's crazy. Yeah. So I just um, I want to see the bodybuilding sport grow, but it's hard because it's such a, you know, it's it's a you know steroids are a lot more prevalent in bodybuilding than they are in any other sport, even though they are in other sports. You know, people don't talk about them, and Gen Pop doesn't really know who's on it or to the extent of like what's being used, right? Right. And then for bodybuilding, you know, we're running all these high doses. So everybody knows that big ass bodybuilders are on steroids. Everybody does. Yeah. And everyone has a connotation for drug use. So. But I like the di- direction it's going. That's why I got into classic. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more aesthetic. It's a lot, well, compared to being a mass monster, it can be healthier. Not to say that there are some guys in classic that are trying to bulk into the division, much like I was trying to bulk into being open. So uh, there's still guys that I'm sure are very unhealthy doing classic, but at least the perception of it from what I think is general pop's opinion is it is it looks more healthy, right? Because they look like they're on less steroids than the bigger guys. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> if for any other they reason do. than that. Yeah. So I, what are your thoughts and do you have any advice for younger kids that are getting into bodybuilding that because Sam Selleck and all these other creators are in the industry now, and this is becoming a lot more prevalent information. These kids are starting steroids young. And that's like the last thing I want to, like, I, I don't want to influence that, but I understand that if there's a lot of people out there that want to do something big in the industry or they want to be like a well-known bodybuilder or they want to win the Olympia, like, do you have any recommendations for them to like be healthy, take care of themselves? Right. And I'm talking to the kids that are going to do it no matter what we say, because mm-hmm. there's going to be those kids that doesn't, I mean, they're going to hear from everyone left, right, and center not to do it. And they're going to do it anyways. And, you know, I always struggle with this because we know how effective supplements are versus how effective steroids are. Right. And then I remember coming up as a teenager thinking and spending tons of money on subs, right. Um, with unrealistic expectations, thinking I'm going to look like bodybuilders, right. Like the ones I've seen in the magazine, the ones that were famous at the time, Right. And it's supplements have their place. Right. I love my pre-workout, my protein shakes and everything. But 
I understand that I'm not going to be looking like a, a pro bodybuilder taking supplements. But see, this is where it's our responsibility to tell the kids like, listen, yeah, supplements have their place, but they're not going to get you to the Olympia stage, right? And if you want to get there, you do need to use steroids because everyone is. So you can't beat them, join them. You're not going to be the one natural guy that's winning Mr. Olympia when everyone else is on gear. So I also think that the more we share, right, the more that the next generation can learn from our experiences, just like we had this whole conversation about dosing and everything and how using as much as we did had such diminishing returns, it wasn't even worth it because we looked worse. We looked inflamed and swollen. We looked um, off-putting to most people, right? When you're on trend and your veins are super thick and you look purple because you're constantly, you got to, <laughs> You got so many RBC, you got um, your red blood cell count sky high, right? And um, you just have that super anabolic androgen look. Um, like most people don't want to look like that anyways, right? So I think if you're trying to be on the Olympia stage or if you're trying to be a world record breaking power lifter, I mean, there's no other way to do it than you're starting with the bare minimum, right? Hit a wall, right? Naturally first. And Everyone thinks they've hit their natural potential because they just can't wait to do their first cycle, right? So like, I hit my potential already. I've maxed out my physique. You probably haven't, right? There's, most guys that say they hit their natural genetic limit probably haven't. I think that's a hard argument though, because like what, like we were talking about earlier, right? Um, you said you stero started steroids when you were 17. Yeah. And I'm assuming Sam Selleck probably started around the same age too. So what do you have to say for, for that? For when trying to like reach your natural potential first? Right. So when we talk about things I would have done differently is definitely waited um, a couple of years, right? To see where I would have plateaued. Um, but that's where it gets complicated because if you wait too long, right? And then you're, you're mid to late 20s and then now you want to hop on. Like what, do you have enough time to become? Exactly, yeah. I agree. Right? Do you have enough time in the sport to really make it to the top mm -hmm. at, if you're getting in so late where most of the greats got in very young, right? I think of like the guys like Seabum, he started when he was a teenager, wasn't he? I mean, he started young, I think so, yeah. right? And most of them have from what I understand and they're doing it for over 10, 15, 20 years. So there is something to be said about, yeah, like the earlier, the more time you have in the sport, the more time you have to build and perfect your craft and you're going to be more resilient. Right. The 18 year old is not going to uh, suffer as much as the fucking 38 year old. Right. That's just a fact, you know. Um, uh, so I, I think there's only so much you can self-educate. And the best thing you can do if you're trying to really make it to the top is uh, especially if you're a teenager and you're going to do it anyways. Right then you have to start with the bare minimum. There's no other way around it. You know, you're not going to you're not going to get there at the top without it if you're looking to compete with other guys who are using um and pace yourself. Like when I when I when I look back, everything was just in a rush. I wanted to get where my goals were yesterday. I just couldn't wait and no patience. So, I would have definitely paced myself a bit more to prevent burnout. You know, that's something to consider too when you're blasting big dosages, you're gonna get burned out quick. Like it's not, it's more exhausting mentally than it is physically. I mean, physically you're looking at like maybe some acne. Right. I think especially for kids under the age of 25. Oh yeah, for sure. So 
under the age of 25, right? This is, it's not so much, in my opinion, from what I, from what I understand about it, the change it does to your body that's so dangerous. It's a change it does to your head, right? Because when I was going from eight, when I was between 18 and 25, the level of emotion and maturity I had versus now is night and day, right? I remember being 18, 19, just angry at the world. Also my circumstances, I was living in a, on the poverty line. I was in a very toxic environment. I was surrounded by people that I didn't want to be around. So I was just always on edge. And then you add steroids to the mix and I'm going through all these hormonal changes. That's where people can get into trouble. Maybe you might make it a bit more violent. Maybe, you know, you'll say things or push people away that you wouldn't have otherwise if you're a bit older and more mature. So that's where I see that it has the biggest consequence. Because physically, right, you're 18, you're indestructible, right? I mean, you're probably going to be fine. Like most people are going to be fine. They take a little TRT, right? Probably not going to drop dead, right? But what it does psychologically, I mean, it's very addicting, of course. So maybe they have no shot to be Mr. Olympia, but now they're hooked on steroids for the rest of their life. Now they can't ever train without it. So there's there's so many layers to this onion, but I think- I think it also changes people's personality. It changes what you like, how you feel about things. Someone says something to you, you may feel like this as opposed to what you normally wouldn't have felt at all. And that changes your decisions. It almost changes who you are as a being, I've noticed. Like when it's really exasperated, like you're on this trend that just like gets you irritated and stuff, like ends relationships, you know, um, changes- you know, has a increased infidelity, just like a lot of crazy things. And I find on that topic, which is great, any androgen, trend, anadrol, et cetera, never use those anymore. I stopped using those a few years ago because of how it affected me up here. And I'm very level-headed. I'm a laid-back dude. I never get upset. You know, um, it takes a lot to push my buttons and really get a reaction, right? Um, and that's just, you know, being a man, growing up, you just become more, you just develop this armor, right? You just get tougher mentally. Uh, and that takes time though, right? Like if as an 18 year old, 19 year old kid, you don't have that yet. No one has it. You just don't have the experience on your belt yet to understand how to deal with certain situations that are very challenging for a teenager, but for a 25 to 30 year old man is no big deal. Like you've been there before, done that, you know how to deal with it. So, but when you add in, like you said, androgens that make you super irritable where you're like a loaded gun ready to take off, you know, if someone just gets in your gets on your bad side, but that could be bad for like your girlfriend, that could be bad for your family, your friends. And um, also maybe if you're trying to keep a job and you're that stereotypical meat juice head that's always angry and flipping out on people and think about what kind of jobs that someone that's on steroids 18 going to have. Probably going to be a PT. You need to be very sociable and likable. Have a lot of charisma, right? You've got to probably be a security guard, right? You you got to keep your cool if you're dealing with people that are going to be drunk and saying things that are inappropriate and pushing your buttons, right? So that's the kind of work that a typical aspiring bodybuilder that's juiced up at that young of an age is going to have. And now you're just making your job that much harder, right? Because now you don't have that cool level-headedness that is already limited because you're only 18, 19. You're adding in trend on the mix. You're just turning life on hard mode, right? You're going to have a great time in the gym. There's no doubt about it. You're going to feel like a superhero. But then everything else in your life is going to be like this. This you're gonna be pissed all the time. Mm -hmm. So I don't use anymore. I know Sebum came out and said he doesn't use it anymore. I mean, I'm happy that people are understanding like how bad trend affects you up here because a few years ago, people were just like, it's the God's nectar and they were glorifying it. Now people are like, well, yeah, it makes you big and strong. I think it's because of the short-term benefits. You know, you see the results, but yeah. the, the, health, the health side effects are more long-term. 
And that's right. Yeah. And, but even in the moment, you know, um, I don't, wouldn't want to have an argument with someone on trend. It's a nightmare. It's so hard <laughs> to control yourself when you're fighting with your girlfriend, you're fighting with your mom or dad or whoever that's close to you that can bring that out of you. And then you're on trend. It's really tough to mm-hmm. like, keep a level head. But besides that, the other thing that's very dangerous that fucked me up is my libido. When you're on androgens, when you're on a lot of tests and you're young, you're oh, teen, dude, yeah. early 20s, dude, sex addiction, porn addiction, it's... Oh, <laughs> I wonder how many out there at, you know, between 18 and 25 are using gear, have a sex or porn addiction. You know, I'm sure it's extremely common because your libido is sky high, like ridiculously high. It's all I thought about for a long time. So much to the f- point where it's just like, it's, it's just insufferable. It's something that's so distracting besides like how I ended up draining myself financially with these campsites and everything. I opened up on another video on with this topic. Um, it was just consuming my mind and it made no room for anything else, you know? So it destroyed my life for a long time in my relationship. I couldn't keep a girlfriend because they were well, not going to put up with that. Right. I mean, addiction all, I think, put you in the same place, dead or homeless. So it was only a matter of time before that sex addiction, which seemed maybe harmless in the beginning of this browsing some porn videos escalated into getting money involved, right? paying girls for videos and whatever and then maybe we'll go to okay now i need a stronger stimulus i need maybe to try drugs now and then what comes after that so it's very dangerous but that all starts from that seed which is steroids right which is at a super young age right your libido if you're a healthy young adult healthy young males should be sky high between 18 and 25 you're probably going to be thinking about that all the time anyways right and then you add in steroids to the mix and now you're probably a sex addict right and i don't know how many how most people deal with that besides myself because these topics men we don't really feel comfortable talking about for the most part like i don't know many on youtube that talk about sex addiction and their experience with steroids and how it's affected it but i can say from experience like i've never had a bro talk to me about that you know hey i have a problem just keep thinking about it i can't get off my mind because generally like being into chicks like hey look at her look at that fat ass like that's just normal right but like there's there, there's a time where it just gets too much and just another thing to think about like if you're going to hop on really young it's just going to always be there and i say nine out of ten dudes that hop on gear whether they have the real potential to be mr olympia or a world like a powerlifter or a social media star or not are going to be hooked for life that's what is really the dangerous part how because it's so addicting up here because you'll never get the same pump you'll never feel that euphoria that testosterone gives you when it's elevated, you're never going to um, have as high as a libido, which some might actually enjoy because having a high libidos feels great. That's why it's so addicting, right? All you want to think about and you consume yourself with is sex. So I think it's the, like you said, the long-term effect, which is the psych- psychological effects and how addicting it is and how challenging it is to realize, like after you experience all these benefits of steroids to stop it, Right at a young at, in your in your early twenties or as a teenager to stop after just trying it once and never use it again after experiencing how good it is right like how many can really do that so it's like I tell guys when they're really young and they're gonna do it anyways okay sure don't listen to me do it anyways fine and but if you do it you're probably gonna be on it for the rest of your life like you're probably never going to stop taking testosterone and you may never have needed it in the first place. There's the one, there's a odd person that needs TRT that genetically they just have, like Alex Eubank says he has low testosterone levels. And if he takes TRT, even though he's super young, he'll actually be healthy. Like he'll be optimal. But then I think most healthy young guys 
don't need TRT. They have super high testosterone levels naturally, and they would make crazy gains without it. You know, and again, it's like you guys, you try it, you're not going to ever stop, right? You might be the one out of a hundred or a thousand that is able to, but you know, you might be hooked for life. And do you really want to inject yourself every week for the rest of your life when you never, you just don't need to do that? You don't need to put yourself through that. So it's a really big commitment. It's not something you can just pick up and put down. It's a massive commitment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't just pick it up and right. put it down. You know, it's, it's, it's there for life. Once mm-hmm. you, once you start using it, it's there, it's there for life. Um, an argument for the guys who just want to take like one cycle or be done with it. Like that's going to, you know, we all know that that's going to fuck you up, but there are people out there who do just want to like look kind of good or look a little bit better. They don't want to become Mr. Olympia. Um, and I think there is an argument to say that like, they're likely not going to be taking an as much or enough to significantly have health consequences, like significant health consequences, but it is going to affect their health for sure. And if you are someone who you believe susceptible to use more later or you want to do more for a longer period of time or you just want to compete and become Mr. Olympia, the whole thing is an entire science book. Like a world of, like I recommend anyone to like look up Vigorous Steve. Like you've heard more plates, more dates talk. Now like listen to Vigorous Steve talk about bodybuilding, bro. And dude, it it is just endless stuff that you have to learn just to like take care of yourself while right. you're on it alone. So and that's like a whole nother like class and degree on its own. So I think it's a, it's a big time commitment as well. Seriously. Bodybuilding is a full-time job. Honestly, Joe, you, you seem like you're doing really well for one week out, bro. Like, uh, <laughs> you seem like I'm hanging really- by a thread, man. <laughs> My brain's operating like 10% capacity. I feel like shit, but clan and caffeine. Get me through it. Damn, that's crazy. How do you feel in the clan, if you don't mind me asking? I feel great, man. I mean, dude, without it right now, I'd be an absolute zombie. There's a dude, his name is uh, Josh, and I respect him. He's like in his 40s or so, comes to mm-hmm. Ryan's gym with Team Zero Gravity. He's a week out too, and he is suffering. Like, he walked in the gym the other day, like, this man just rolled out of bed. Like, his eyes are halfway open. I mean, he looked like, damn, like, he's really pushing himself, going through it. He's not on any clan or any stimulants, though. So I'm like... I wonder if I'd stop the clan, like how bad I'd really feel. <laughs> would he would he happen to be running anything like trend or anything like that? Well, he wasn't actually. He wasn't, okay. Yeah, he was on a very mild cycle. He's in his 40s, mm-hmm. just wants to still be oh, competitive. I see, I see, I see. Yeah. Um, my boy Nathan, uh, he's a lot of people have seen me on the on um, the podcast before seeing him on the podcast. We used to do videos together. Uh, we did this big ass video that like, it was like 40 minutes uh, on like just steroids and um Got like 400, 500k views or something on okay. YouTube. So a lot of people know who he is. But this guy, he's got like the best physique, genetics. Like he's got, he literally looks like Raymond Dino. If he like, Ooh. he's got that structure, like giant forearms, just tiny waist, crazy. Love that. He did his first competition and he was like, dude, Niall, I quit. I can't do this. Because just from what he was on, he was like not getting any sleep. Worst mental side effects. Like feeling anxiety all the time, bro. It was just like... It was just so bad that even though I know that he could literally like be on that Olympia stage and kill it, he just couldn't take it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I have another, um, I have another argument for starting young and it's really hard because I do agree that like, if you want to become the best, then I do think time under proper programming with steroids and performance and enhancing drugs will get you to near the top. But I didn't start my first injections till I was about, I think, 24. Hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. I uh, had run oral for the show that I turned pro. 
Uh, but when I was running those orals and before I, before 25, I can tell you for sure before 25, I was having some bad mental side effects too. Some pretty bad mental side effects. And, um, I was having issues with my relationship as well. I just wasn't, it was, it was hard for me to, to like compromise properly without feeling like tons of anxiety. I feel like it's like a guy on a period or PMSing or like what a dude would be like if he was on birth control. Cause you know, honestly, birth control is derived from DECA from Nandrolone. So, and now, now that I'm over the age of 25, like running the amount of tests that I'm running now, which I had never even been close to before. Like, I just feel great. Yeah, It's crazy. Yeah. I just feel awesome. I feel no mental side effects whatsoever. I feel really stable. Almost feel a little like a lot more stoic than I did like two, three years ago. A lot so, less emotional. Yeah. Yeah. Less emotional. I mean, my anxiety was through the roof when I was running the last 10 years. Only when I transferred over, when I transitioned to TRT, did the anxiety go away. But I just thought it was there to stay forever. I had suspicion that it was really from my concern about me having a heart attack because of how big I was and how much gear I was running. Um, but well, it absolutely was from that. And once I dropped the gear way down at TRT levels and I realized, damn, like I look basically, I look even better. I'm just as strong minus maybe like 2% and I have no anxiety. And I was living with crippling anxiety for like a decade, like crippling, like, you know, checking my pulse every few minutes when I'm home alone and just like, Oh, what's my BPM right now? It's like 88. Okay. Fuck. Is that all right? Like every, every day for like as long as I can remember. And these are the kind of things I'm glad we talk about because this is the kind of life you can look forward to. If your kids want to hop on steroids and chase being the best, because I mean, it's all glory on social media. We all know that, but what do these guys have to put up with? They're all battling demons. They're all battling how difficult it is really to compete at the highest level and how much harder steroids makes that. It doesn't make it easier. It makes it easier to train, right? But everything outside of that, like when you're not in that safe space, when you're not like distracted with training and having the best time of your life lifting weights, you have to deal with life, right? You have to deal with life with all the mental side effects of using gear. And it's it's there to stay as long as you use it. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad you touched on that. Um, And... Like going back to about kids using, I mean, look, if they use TRT, chances are they're going to be fine, you know, and sue me. Sure. Like I should tell kids, don't ever touch it. And frankly, they shouldn't, you know, but if you want to miss Olympia, you got to. And if they were to use it and it was TRT, what are the odds of them getting seriously ill on TRT? Honestly, what is the odds? It's more about, like I said, getting, they're likely going to be hooked for life is what I fear for them what i'd be concerned about mm-hmm. that they'll never stop using it because i can't just stop using trt now you know i can't just go completely natty you know how long it would take years if it ever comes back to get my natural test levels to where they're healthy after mm-hmm. 12 years of using gear mm-hmm. to just go cold turkey you know and expect my t levels to be healthy again right. it would be a mission yeah. it would be absolutely brutal process i'd rather especially because after a certain age, like 35 or so, your T levels naturally decline. Anyways, I'm okay doing a sub Q shot once, twice a week. Like I'll, I'll put up with that. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. You know, but do you guys want to do that for the rest of your life? So that's the reality of it. Whether you become Mr. O or not, you, ha- you got to do it. Once you're on, you got to stay on. And uh, everyone totally responds differently to all these things. So like yeah. some people, you know, you could actually get your testosterone back within like six months to say if you're, I don't know, doing TRT for like three, five years or something, or some people could take three years to get it back. Yeah. You don't know. And it's, I mean, do you really want to play Russian roulette? It's basically what it yeah. is. Yeah. Unless you like 
if you just really want it that bad, then I think that's the only argument. I was thinking about what you were saying earlier, though, about like becoming big and then also like creating companies and everything. And I just saw this uh, quote from Ice Cube the other day. He was on this podcast and he said, if you're not willing to work your ass off for five years without a fucking cent, don't even try. Don't even try it. If you're not, what's that you said? If you're not willing to work? If you're not willing to work your ass off for five years without a penny, then don't even try. Meaning without taking props from the business? Yep. Yeah, that's exactly it. Absolutely. 100%. And that's the level of discipline it takes, right? Imagine you go from being a nine-to-fiver. I'm just talking to the kids now. You go from being a nine-to-fiver um, on a salary where you just have this security, somewhat level of security, mm-hmm. and then you start a business, and then you're now making three, four, five times in revenue, right? Maybe not in profit, but in revenue in your account You know, within a few months or maybe a year of starting your business, whatever that might be or whatever service you may provide. And to not touch that money, you know, not to go get a new car and get some new designer watches, all that fun stuff. Uh, very challenging, right? I've struggled with that, especially in Dubai. And I've been doing lots of uh, um, self-educating when it comes to understanding uh, my own psychology and why I want things I want, especially when it comes to uh, luxury design uh, and material items. And when you're in a high consumption environment like Dubai, where most people you rub shoulders with are very materialistic, not everyone, but most, and it's all about what car you're driving and how expensive your watch and all this, that, and the other. And how many, so it's like it hard not to acclimate to the culture. So I was obsessed with cars and I wanted a nice, expensive watch and I wanted to just keep up with the society that I was in, right? I didn't want to be the odd one out. You know, I don't want to be the loser of Dubai, like the one guy that's like all these followers and I'm not successful like everyone else seems to be. So I was struggling, like keeping up my image, like to my peers, because I want to be respected. Right. So I wanted to show that, yeah, I'm successful, too. Like I belong here. And then now coming here to L.A., it's not very much different. But living out where I live in San Dimas there is no culture like that. People don't show their wealth. There's plenty of wealth over there, right? It's not too far out from LA, about 45 minutes east of here. And it's mostly like middle-aged to senior citizens, retirees, their kids are grown out the house. No one's driving luxury six-figure cars. No one's wearing AP and Richard Mills, right? I mean, there's no strip clubs. People aren't throwing money left and right. It's not the culture. So I don't feel that pressure to go out and spend. So this all comes to my point of now that I'm building these brands, Right. I don't I'm not in an environment unless when I unless the occasional time I drive into L.A., I'm not in the environment where I live most of my time where I feel pressured by society to have the latest gadget or the latest car or or keep up with my buddies because he has just got a new six figure watch. Like because mm-hmm. none of my peers, none of my people in my circle right now, none of my business partners even live like that. They don't show their wealth. They're wealthy. They have plenty of money. Money's not a problem. But they don't show it. And I love being in that environment because it just removes that pressure entirely. I still want to be successful, not because I want to show off how much money I have, but because I want to make sure my family's taken care of. That's all it comes from and have financial freedom. So the one day where I decide, you know what, 
I don't want to make content anymore. I've done it for 10, 20 years. I want to do something else now, whatever that might be in the future. I want to have that option, you know, the freedom to make that decision, to not to be shackled by, well, I've been a content creator and that's what I'm going to be till I die. Like, I think life is, <laughs> there's more to my life than that. There's more to my story than just being a content creator. And, um, but to, to have that freedom, I need to have that maturity, like financially, um, to be able to have several years of revenue come in and invest it into the business and into property and whatever else makes sense at the time where opportunity arises and not spend it on the things that are going to make me lose everything like a new expensive car because i spent so much money on cars over the year wasted a lot of money didn't know what i was doing just trying to keep up with society and i regret it you know i had a great time i've driven every car i can think of right and was it worth sacrificing um, my future? No, I mean, it's not like my future is over. Like I don't have opportunities still. I'm still super young, but I'd be in a much better position today. And this is just part of life, learning from your mistakes. A much better position today had I not touched the income from my business or any other changes of income. You know, had I just invested into the things that are going to bring me back money versus just instant gratification and impulsive buy. It's like a car. It doesn't matter what car it was I had. Within three months, I was bored of it. It could be a brand new Ferrari. It could be a brand new whatever. Enter six-figure car name here. And within three months, okay, this is now familiar. The novelty's worn off. I want something something else now, you know? So it's like, it's not even long-term fulfillment, just an impulsive thing you do. You you see it, it looks beautiful. You drive it. You feel great for a couple months, maybe, maybe even less. And then you're just locked into this super expensive payment. And it's like, it's just not even, or you spent like 50 to 100 grand on the down payment, blow a ton of cash. And within a few months, you're tired of it. So not, I mean, I think there's a lot that can relate there. Not everyone's a car enthusiast, but for those that are, it's very dangerous, you know, to be in an environment where everyone is driving a six-figure car, like in Dubai, especially where I was living in Dubai, the like prime real estate area. It seemed like Rolls Royces were everywhere, right? I mean, Rolls Royces, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, everything. So to drive a car that's not one of those, you know, just an economy car, you know, and to spend my money wisely and things are going to bring me back money, not like a depreciating asset, like a car, you know, was something I really struggled with. I did, you know, and it was a weakness, you know, I feel like, um, desiring those things is a weakness because it, it's not a, even a utility, right? Cause, uh, a Tesla model three serves the same purpose as a brand new Rolls Royce Phantom, you know? So why are you getting the Phantom? You know, and I'm still it's still a work in progress with this mindset I have towards like luxury items and because that desire, as long as I want it, as long as I say, okay, well, when I make X amount of dollars, I'm going to have this car, I'm going to live in this house and have this watch and go do all these expensive things that isn't actual happiness, the more I'm taking away from my future because all that money could be spent in like buying Airbnb properties, for example, like making solid investments. Mm -hmm. Not saying that the Airbnb is a solid investment, but it could be just as an example. So that's where I'm like that when you said like five years, not touch it. I mean, that's like right in the money. Maybe not quite as long, could be three years, maybe or four years, but I think be prepared as a business owner, you know, to have that discipline where for you, like the money is getting reinvested until it sells. Like, I think that's the ultimate goal when you're starting a company, right? To sell, right? Get a big buyout, start another company, you know? Um, so now I understand that, you know, now, but I had to make a lot of mistakes with money and a lot, a lot of impulsive buys, right? And 
I think we all have our uh, inner demons to fight, and that's mine, you know, especially when it comes to cars. I love cars. I hate that I do, but I love them. And as long as I love them as much as I do and want to have the latest, most expensive one, it's going to be taken away from my ability to build real like wealth. And that's what, in the long run, is going to give me real fulfillment. So when you invest back in your business, you're doing exactly that. Like every dollar gets put back into the business is another it's just adding to that security you have as a whole. Like you're adding so much more security and stability into your life um, and your family. Like you're going to ensure that they're taken care of. And the, the, the car, it doesn't do anything that is lasting beyond um, an economy car, especially one that's like as efficient as a Tesla, you know? And those are becoming really affordable now. I can see Tesla Model 3 is like 30 grand, you know? So why go out and get like a Model X Plaid? for like a hundred some thousand dollars and just get like a model Y for 40 or 50, Mm -hmm. you know, like things like that, like where it's like dramatic differences in price because cars, like it's just like for me, where I've gotten to so far just eats up so much cash so fast. So that's where as a struggling entrepreneur, you know, trying to connect all the dots and create wealth where I see I have to work on, you know, that's, that's my weakness and it's a constant work in progress. Um, so I do read books about like, well, why do people want luxury items in the first place? Um, so that's one of the main reasons I moved out to where I live now in San Dimas. There's no temptation mm. over there. I don't even, I don't ever see it out of sight, out of mind. I don't see luxury cars. I don't see watches. I don't see any of that. So it doesn't even cross my mind anymore. That's such a good point. Honestly, I grew up basically, basically being told that we, we have no money and trying to learn how to like live without any money whatsoever since that's how my my parents are you know they're from the philippines so they had nothing uh but living in la man that that shit changes like i think it's it happens to a lot of us like when you live in a place like that where you see um you see all this like lavishness and like high high levels of dopamine from you know spending money at clubs and bars on people and you know expensive items like i feel like it's almost like like unpurposely changed my perspective on it which i'm trying my best not to like keeping that mindset i think is the most powerful and healthy and something that i'm trying to work towards but it it gets difficult living in a place like la it really does yeah and like i said i was in dubai four years exposed to that <laughs> the epithet the the uh, epitome of luxury lavish living was Dubai. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I succumbed to it yeah. many times, many, many times. Yeah, Dubai for sure. Now, every time I drive into LA, I literally put on an audible book where it talks about just why people want expensive items. It doesn't matter what it is, just why people want cars and watches and want to blow money at the club and want to impress and show off. And it helps, you know, it's a work, it's a, it's a work in progress, a muscle I'm trying to develop, you know, mm-hmm. to resist so that I can have long lasting wealth. And I like the, I like being able to drive into the city occasionally, you know, but I was uh, at a launch, not a launch party, I was at a marketing event for one of my companies, White Rabbit, yesterday at Ballet, you know, and just on the way here, driving through LA, I just see, I just see it. I just, it just reminds me of Dubai, you know, the, the culture and everything looks expensive and people are popping 
thousand dollar bottles and just throwing money. Just, I'm just like, that's, you know, I'm just trying to get as far away from that as possible to protect my future, you know, cause protect me from myself really. Right. Right. And I mean, that's the best advice I can give for anyone that's trying to be an entrepreneur is to live somewhere where you're not going to be constantly exposed to it. And if that means you got to have a lo- little bit of a longer commute to work, so be it, mm-hmm. you know, and there's the pressure of neighbors as well. You know, like your neighbor just got a new fancy car that costs like six figures. And now you feel like you need a new car that costs six figures. So it's like, it's, it's a domino effect. It's, it's very hard to escape it. But if you do, then that's where you found true wealth, like where your money is going to always be safe because it's safe from you. Right. I mean, if you've gotten to the point where you have a successful business and then you lose it all because you're trying to keep up with the Jones and <laughs> That's on you, right? I mean, you had the opportunity. You did everything that right with the business. Is, but well, maybe you didn't because you're, if you're blowing money, only you shouldn't. Then you know that's on you. So I, I think like when you have that opportunity and you're privileged enough, like you said, your parents were um, dirt poor from the uh, Philippines, right? Mm-hmm. And mom used to play with spiders on sticks when they were little. Like that's what they would <laughs> oh do. My and, God. <laughs> oh my god, streets, dude. make them fight, <laughs> right? And you know, when you when you think about, you know, people that are very close to us, like my mom, for example, was also in the poverty line for a long time, faced eviction several times. And then if she ever had the opportunity like I did, or rather she sees the opportunity that I have, and then to blow it all, and then be in a position where I'd have to say one day, yeah, my, like I had all this going for me, and then I was just buying shit I didn't need left and right, and the next thing I knew my business is failing now because I don't have this and that for it, and well, I'm back at square one again. She would be heartbroken. She'd be like, what? Like you, you had everything, you know, and then you just wasted it all. I mean, imagine. So that things like that, I think about too, like how would I talk to my mom about like losing everything if I keep up with those habits of high consu- high consumption, right? When mm-hmm. with luxury items and it's scary. And it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's very, very, um, takes a lot of discipline with impulse control because those are all impulsive purchases. Right. Right. So, mm-hmm. but living out in San Dimas, again, like I can't express how much I love it because it's just out of sight. I just mm-hmm. don't even see it. I almost feel, I'm, only, I'm driving a Mercedes now and I feel like it's a bit out of place over there. Cause again, it's like all this old gen, old money is out there, mm-hmm. right? Generation wealth is out there. And their perception on money is totally different from like all the young, ambitious entrepreneurs here in LA where they all have something to prove out here. But out there, it's like, they just don't see it, man. And and it's just so much peace of mind, mm-hmm. you know. Honestly, I should restructure what I said. So I guess I don't I don't feel the need to to buy a lot of things. I still have the same ideals, but uh, I feel like there's more of a need like like I need to make more because I might be falling or I need to make more because um, I want to be successful and I want to, you know, have a great partner and I want to make sure to take care of her. But everyone in L.A. just lives so much more. I feel like the pressure to make more and do better is just higher. I think that's that's a little bit more accurate to what I was trying to say. But yeah. I wanted to talk about your life, honestly, but uh, somehow we talked about steroids the entire podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're down to move on to these questions that like the audience wants to ask. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. no doubt, man. Uh, Jacob asks, um, have you ever taken insulin? I have. And insulin experience was interesting because... I remember the first time I took it, and this was under supervision of an experienced coach. I 
I felt like this is a way to develop a very bad relationship with food because when you're going hypo, when you haven't had sugar soon enough, oh, and shit, yeah. you're just hungrier than you ever imagined someone can be, and you get that first mouthful of food, it's like, it's it's weird. It's like almost orgasmic how good food can taste after <laughs> after getting to the brink of like dying <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> you know it's like it's it's almost kind of nice you know it's this weird like instantly just like this weird like it's it's something that i absolutely am not doing again you know um because of that maybe because, i should try it what's that i said maybe i should try it you should absolutely nice. try it bro bro do it bro do it one day before like you have like one of just go hypo once <laughs> yeah bro just go hypo once and have like the best meal of your life it will be the best meal of your life one time might kill you though so <laughs> use of caution yeah, would not recommend. <laughs> Damn. Okay. Did you f- feel like you felt any changes in uh, oh, your physique or performance? Yeah, and I mean, look, for those that use insulin properly, and I did once I got the hang of it for my f- second show. I mean, the pump you get, even though a steroid pump is already ridiculous, the pump you get from insulin pre workout is just like it's literally one set, and you're about to explode. You know, and now imagine a whole workout. So. That is what I experienced from it. I didn't notice that I got any muscle development. I noticed I was swollen. I was very swollen. I looked like you said, very inflamed, lots of water retention. Didn't look good. Looked like a big cloud, you know, but that's the, uh, what my coach said is that um, the thing about insulin is that it feels like it creates these more like rounder, but not like the aesthetic type of rounder, more like, like bloated looking like muscle bellies. Yes. Like they look, yeah, more like clouds. I look like the Michelin man, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I said that to, uh, who did I send that to? I sent that to Mike the from the, the Trent Twins. Yeah. I was like, bro, you're, I, I sent him, a, who did I send? I sent him a crazy bodybuilder. I'm like, dude, this is literally you because he's got these big ass arms. He's like, no, bro, that guy's round, I wish. And I'm like, so I sent him the Michelin man and I'm like, I'm not round. <laughs> dude, you're too modest. Um, oh, do you mind, if you don't mind me asking, um, how long ago was this? And, um, what how much were you taking uh i think it was like i think it was about 14 units i was on uh like pre and post but that's i haven't remembered the dose i was on it's been this is five years ago mm-hmm. and i only took it once so i really can't remember oh i took it a second time actually uh when i was getting up to 300 pounds which was also about four years ago four or five years ago gotcha and it did, like, if it wasn't for the insulin, I would not have gotten beyond about 280. Like, I have a, no matter how much gear I've ran, and how much, how matter, no matter how much I was in a calorie surplus consistently, my body doesn't want to get beyond 280. Like, it just, that's the sticking point for me. It's a big, like a brick wall. No matter what I put in my body, how much food I consume. So the insulin, though, got me from 280 to 300. With that, um... Uh, in the mix, I was able to put on a, a 20 pounds, but it was a, I mean, you guys see the photo of Larry Meals. It's not a good look. <laughs> Larry Meals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Come for your cereal. Hide your cereal. That's funny. I always, <laughs> I just, I always wonder how much, um, GH insulin and food contribute to like the increase of your waistline, Oof. like individually, or if it's really like a combination of all like well, that's necessary. Well, it's, <sighs> I mean, when you're bulking in hard mode, like I was, like 10,000 calories a day, my waist was well over 40 inches. Now it's Ooh. like, bro. What is for, it now? Like 32. 
It's way. Your waist lower. looks way smaller than thirty two too. It's my lower back. It's so thick back there. When I do that, I mean, I have to wrap around there too, right? So I think that's why it's measuring as big as it is because it, I think I agree. It looks smaller, but not thirty two right now. And lower back from fucking nine hundred pound deadlifts. Legit, like <laughs> fucking ten years, twelve years of deadlifting. It's nuts, but yeah, uh, it's just constantly being stuffed. Like waking up, literally waking up stuffed from last night and then having to eat a massive breakfast like and then going to bed stuffed and then eating in the middle of the night setting an alarm for 3 a.m to have a fucking quick shake and some food because you have to constantly every even if you're sleeping every three four hours have a meal it's just miserable dude miserable so yeah i think just the sheer amount the volume of food constantly in your stomach pushes everything out you know and that's why bodybuilders i think have that distended gut right they just eat so damn much food i Mm -hmm. mean if you spend a day with a bodybuilder at the pro olympia level not pro at the olympia level in open division and how much they eat it's like it's just you you, it's just you just can't it's just like what like (laughs) it's just insane then you think you eat a lot like most people think i remember Every time I see a skinny kid, they say, I eat so much food. I'm like, you definitely don't. (laughs) (laughs) You definitely don't. Like, I've been there too. I used to think at one point in my life, I eat a lot of food. I don't. I never did. I mean, I did, sorry, once when I was 300 pounds. And now these bodybuilders at the Olympia level, they're eating, you know, seven, 8,000 calories clean, right? So it's the volume to eat that many calories. You need several cups of rice every meal, 16 to 20 ounces of protein every meal. It's just insane. Like it's, and then shakes on top of that. I mean, what these guys do and then consistently, like not missing any of those meals, despite feeling sick probably after having them every day for weeks and months on end is just what I respect about them so much. Despite me not wanting to look like that or live that life because of how challenging it is and how much my body doesn't like being like that. I respect them to the moon because I know firsthand from that experience with insulin and trying to be 300 pound behemoth, how hard it really is. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really difficult. Swal Jackson asks, what's your biggest regret in your career and what would you have done differently? Biggest regret in my career. Well, that would be the only time I've ever endured a permanent injury, which is when I tore my bicep one week before my first full strongman show. And it still haunts me to this day only because I see it every day. Luckily, the judges said when I met them recently, I did a little guest posing after a show wrapped up just to get their opinion about where I'm at. They said, yeah, we don't see it because from the down up angle, from where they're looking, their perspective, they don't notice it. But even still, I, I see it. You know, and I, my left arm was my better arm, in my opinion. And that's the one that got permanently torn. So I still think your left bicep looks nuts, bro. That looks sick, <laughs> dude. That's a big ass peak. I know. I mean, <laughs> it, it gave me some engagement. I mean, I suppose it's given me more than what I bargained for, but I regret not warming up enough before doing that stone, th- mm. before doing those stones. And I preached this. What, what would the warm up have looked like versus what it looked like? Uh, so it was a it was between the warm up and technique like my so I was lifting the stone here right for example but it's supposed to be here right so the biceps not as engaged oh right so I don't know if they can see that but, but that's just so hard grabbing pure friction oh my god yeah I hated the stones I mean I say <laughs> I regret it but I'm glad I'm not doing stones ever again because I hate it it just you have the tacky on then it fucking rips off your hair and skin and everything. <laughs> I hate that shit. But um, yeah, I just really wanted, I just wonder, like we all do in the past, what I would have performed at 
if I did make it to the show that weekend. Because it was one week. I was in the UK. I traveled to the UK for this event. Yeah. And then I got injured and I had to pull out. So, and there was a massive crowd, like 8,000 people in the arena. Because strongman in the UK is a big deal. Like those strongman guys are actual celebrities over there. They're uh, revered as real athletes, right? Like more so than here in the States or anywhere else in the world. So it was a really big stage. And people had such high expectations for me. My first full show. And it could have really been a lot of fun. But, you know, I saw that as a sign to, you know what? This is a learning curve. This is not going to just be the last injury I have in this sport. It's going to be several and it's because it's, there's a learning curve to every sport. And I'm like, I went through this with power. I want to do this again with strongman, maybe even more so, where now I'm getting permanent injuries or worse because it's more risky. Because when, you, when you're doing strongman, you have to basically race head to head with someone for most of the events with several hundred pounds on your back or in your hands. And there's some things that can go wrong where it's like, I just didn't see the incentive because the risk to reward ratio was so high. I'm like, there's not much for me to gain from this. Like I thought there was, if I have to legitimately permanently damage myself and that's a big compromise. It's a big sacrifice to make for the sport. So I wasn't invested enough after that. Like, yeah, this is not for me. Yeah. Especially if you're tearing your bicep, bro. Bro, the, of all the muscles, the fucking prettiest one. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bruno Luckus asks, are you still on TRT? But we answered that question. Yeah. Nimpop asks, did you have a cultural shock at the Serbian wedding? Oh, yes. That was hilarious. This is how deep in Serbia it was. This is a straight village, bro. Like fucking stone and wood it was it wasn't actually it was like three hour drive from belgrade which is the main city of serbia the, the capital and it was from what i thought the middle of nowhere beautiful though surrounded by greenery and it was packed i mean the both sides of the family were there and i, I just didn't know what to do i was the only person of color in there so i was just staying close to my fiance you know just trying not to look awkward and have a good time they drink this thing called rakia, which is like super concentrated alcohol. And they kept trying to get me drunk before I drive back to Belgrade. <laughs> I'm like, guys, I have a three hour Let's drive. Go. <laughs> like, yeah, have, have another shot. Have another shot. Like, guys, we're going to crash and die. So I don't know what the laws on drinking and driving is over there, but not as much, not as strict as it is here for sure. Because there's one guy who kept trying to get me drunk. I'm like, bro, like, I got to drive three hours right now. So that was. Does everyone drive cars there? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyone ever drive donkeys? <laughs> Bro, I did go on a donkey actually in, oh, it's going to come to me in a second, in Santorini. That was oh, fun. Nice. I took a donkey down some like, it was like, so in Santorini where the main tourist area is, there's this massive staircase that goes from the very top of the hill all the way to where the uh, coast is, where the beach is. It's like, if you were to walk it, it's probably like a 45 minute trek down the stairs. It's massive. And I took these donkeys down the stairs and that was fun. Damn, that's crazy. The poor donkey. <laughs> poor donkey. <laughs> fucking huge. Brings us to this next one. Um, Joro asks, how many did how many calories did you eat while preparing to hit a new PR? Generally about five thousand. Each meal is about a thousand calories. So here's the thing, right? Like my breakfast, right, when I'm not in prep, for example, is likely to be a breakfast burrito, which is easily a thousand calories right there. Mm -hmm. Then it'll be something like some pancakes with it another 500 easy nice. easy bro easy 500 calories even with fucking sugar-free syrup then i'll have maybe some orange juice 
Another couple hundred calories right there. <laughs> and like we're sitting at almost two thousand just for breakfast alone. Damn. And then I love cheeseburgers, right? Like I'm never giving it up. You don't have to kill me. So I have a cheeseburger every day for the most part. Um, that's like another fifteen hundred calories. Shit, fries. bro, you can't eat, bro. I mean, I could eat some junk. <laughs> <laughs> I could eat some junk food. So that's three thousand right there, right? And then let's say I'm having just to be conservative four meals a day. Then I have my third meal coming up. Third meal will likely be something a bit on the healthier side. So like uh, buttery steak, you know, high in fat, nice and mm-hmm. tasty, preferably a ribeye wagyu. And I'll do it that with like some mashed potato or some mac and cheese. Easy, another 1,500 calories right there. Yeah. Right? Then I got dinner, right? <laughs> dinner probably would be usually this, like I like to have steak and chicken like two to three times a day generally. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't do pasta uh, just because... My fiance doesn't really like it all that much, so we don't ever really go out to eat pasta all that often. And when she cooks at home, it's usually just steak and rice. Um, but steak and like butter rice is like my go-to meal. Nice, like, nice. like I just I can eat it every day. So right. yeah, easy, easy five thousand a day, easy. Mm-hmm. Like it just it racks up so quick. Guys, if you just count the calories on your Uber Eat uh, food places that you're trying to order from, most of the meals, even the salads now, like a cheesecake factory salad, like eight hundred calories. Right. Right, a, a salad. Right, so imagine like what a entree is. Right, maybe a chicken dish or mm-hmm. steak dish. It's going to be even two thousand calories. Then yeah. at cheesecake factory, you're going to get a cheesecake too, another thousand calories, and you're going to probably drink some sweet, another five, two to two to five hundred calories. So it adds up so quick, you know. Um, if you're eating out, yeah, and I don't cook, so I always eat out. I do believe that um, uh, a lot of the health re- repercussions when it comes to like bodybuilding and steroids with diet are most likely from like sugars and seed oils and processed food like combined with each other. Um, I know there's a lot of arguments out there regarding like say carnivore keto and all these other diets that like, you know, fat from say steak is not actually uh, a cause of heart disease or at least a leading cause. Um, And it comes down more into like the set, like the bad fats maybe that you get from like seed oils and things like that, especially when mixed with sugar. Um, But uh, I was talking with um, uh, a who is it like a, a health, um, a health something from transcend. And, uh, she was talking about how a lot of what they see really with the health markers comes from like inflammation from eating foods like that and things. So something I wanted to mention earlier when you were talking about supplements, like not being, we all understand not being nearly as like impactful as like steroids is I do really, I do truly stand by like supplements ancillaries like supplements that are ancillaries for bodybuilding or supplements like glutathione um being like things that are really fucking effective for bodybuilding because if that stuff is going to help your health in the long term and then also reduce your inflammation then you're probably going to be a lot more effective at building muscle right right yeah, and have a lot more fun doing it. Yeah. We're not yeah. facing uh, acid reflux and heartburn every day. Right, right. And <laughs> thinking you're going to die. Exactly. Oh, and uh, I also want to mention this earlier. Sorry, these are random thoughts that I'm just flowing back, remembering that I wanted to say these things. But we were talking about um, you having anxiety from having a heart attack earlier. Yeah. I think it's a good idea for anyone who feels that anxiety when they're taking things to maybe get themselves like a CT angiogram. It's a computer tomography because uh, that way you'll at least get to see where you stand soft plaque wise when it comes to your arteries. And I think that will be the greatest like, you know, predictor of like how your heart is going to be if you don't want to have anxiety. But then again, that goes into basically saying that bodybuilding is expensive because if you want to know that shit, it's going to cost quite a bit to get all the, all that blood work and scans. 
And my coach had a heart attack um, a couple of years ago, and he did all the scans, CT scan, echogram, everything, stress tests. And the doctor kept telling him that, yeah, everything's fine. It's just all in your head. And every time he'd go to lay down and bench press, he would get lightheaded. When he went to tie his shoes, he would get lightheaded. And then, you know, he went several times to the doctor. Hey, doc, I ain't, I ain't feeling right. This isn't right. I'm like, no, 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 it's not, it's not what you think it is. Don't worry about it. Don't change anything, you know, just fucking try and relax when you feel that way. <laughs> and he got all the scans done several times and he ended up having a heart attack. Anyways. What? Yeah. What was the, res- what was the cause? Do you know? Um, I can't quote exactly. I have to ask him to be, I know there's a card in his wallet that if he ever were to drop, I can pull out and show it to the doctor. Like, he has a card. If you have a heart attack, you get a card. Right? Oh man. I don't ever want to have that card. <laughs> That's oh, a card shit. I never want to have. Yeah. Well, no, I'm scared again. <laughs> oh my god! No way! Yeah, like did the scans actually show like, like flying colors, like a lo- flying colors? Yes, flying no, colors. like no issue, no blockage, all. nothing. Like, yep, you're good to go. You're healthy. Where the fuck did this heart attack come from? <laughs> it's scary. That's a, what. This is the thing that scares me too. Like, I, I, because in du- in Dubai, I had a scan done, stress test, flying colors. I passed. I posted the video too. No problem. Then I come in here and then my anxiety subsided. Now I don't have any weight because I'm on TRT eating healthy. So why would I have a heart attack now? But then I see that Ryan had a heart attack, my coach. And even though he had all the tests done and they still came back clear, clean, and then he ends up having a heart attack. So I'm like, when it's your time, it's your time. What? Yeah. <laughs> what? When it's your time. Ryan too? Yeah, bro. Clean scans and a heart attack still. Yes, bro. It's scary shit, bro. I'm a... I'm going to ask fucking Derek. I'm going to ask more points about this and see what he has to say because that's fucking scary, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, pick his brain, man. Not so. getting blockage, but still having a heart attack. I just quit playing, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Gerard asks, uh, well, speaking of, Gerard asks, what age does he plan to stop bodybuilding for health reasons, maybe? I'm looking at giving it, like, going hard another two years. And... I see what I'm investing my finances into right now being that bridge to whatever comes next after that. I don't see my ever being out of the fitness industry because I love it. I'm passionate about it. And I always want to give back to the community in any shape or form um, with my experiences and not just with the gym, but as entrepreneur as well. However, I can help the next generation, I will. So I'll always be somewhat active in the industry. But as far as like being a competitive athlete, I don't see it more than two years. Wow. But, you know, that's, that's, don't quote me on that, you know. Right. Um, we never know where it's going to go, right? Yeah. But the way I feel about competing now, especially going through this prep after a long time, like as fun as it is pushing myself to a place I've never been before, it's something that I don't know how much longer I want to keep doing this, right? I don't love it as much as I loved powerlifting, for example, mm-hmm. you know, which I was able to do for years. You know, damn crazy. I didn't know you didn't love it as much as powerlifting. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah, I have more fun powerlifting. That's for sure. I mean, if I was fucking lifting up a thousand pounds, I probably would too. <laughs> and <laughs> having cheeseburgers every day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, we'll just wrap this up real quick. Right. There's there's a fuck ton of questions, but <laughs> one asks, "Are you natty?" Not. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just like do a couple more so we can hurry up. Is this before and after picks? Soft and hard. 
Só de verdade. Na Joaquim asks, would you fight Brad in a boxing match? But he's 260, I can't do that. <laughs> Alpha Raid asks, uh, does this man need an editor? Potentially. Oh, yeah? Hit my DMs. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Some of these questions, dude. <laughs> you don't have to answer these, but Shari asks how often, ask him how often he masturbates. Hmm, at the moment, I'm a no fat. Nice. Yeah, I feel so like that's the way to go, bro. I mean, try to. If you can. You know, at least do it so you can come without touching it. <laughs> Win. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. That's the when, girls will love that. Right? <laughs> the girls will love that. It's a party trick. <laughs> um, Chris, Chris says uh, you're an arm wrestling legend. Oh, shit. Thanks. Um, Vivek asks, how many cycles have you taken since you started bodybuilding, and how many days does one cycle take? Uh, so far, I've taken one cycle for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's what bigger Steve has said before, too. One cycle for 12 years. Nice. Yes. Sick. EBKS asks... What is your advice for young men adjusting to adulthood? Mm, pace yourself. Hmm. Pace yourself. Omar asks, what is that one thing that build, built your mental strength? So this actually relates to the previous question about young men entering adulthood, and that is seeking mentorship. Throughout my life, there's always been a mentor-like figure that's been able to help fast-track me to where I wanted to go, right? And generally, that's a coach. It could be a sports coach it could maybe even be a life coach it could be a business coach right um or that very person just happens to be within your circle that has achieved the very thing that you're trying to achieve so it's really like just you connecting with that with that person learning from their mistakes and if they see that you're ambitious right people that are living comfortable people that have made it in life right they're successful they find fulfillment from helping others right the majority of them, in my experience, mm -hmm. they're going to get much more satisfaction helping you get where you're trying to go. If they see that you're doing everything in your power to do that, they're not just going to want to give you cash and say, hey, do whatever you want with it. They're going to want to teach you how to acquire the wealth and success that they have and the thing, the very thing that you're asking them about, because that's fulfillment. Fulfillment really, I think, beyond once you have your bills paid and you're not living check to check does come from helping other people achieve the same thing, giving back to the world, right? And helping the next generation come up, right? Just like the previous generation to me did with me, right? I've had several mentor figures. And how do you find a mentor figure might be the next question, right? And honestly, just by networking, right? Asking questions, right? Um, making connections, going to events where you think that said person might attend, you know, you're not, you're probably not going to find a mentor figure at a nightclub, but you go to the gym with people that generally have strong morals and good discipline and good work ethic, probably going to find a mentor figure there. Probably going to find someone that has his life together and he's working out because he cares about his health and the way he looks and how he presents himself to the world. So the chances of you finding that said mentor figure, um, especially if you're watching this, you're probably interested in the fitness industry is pretty high but you got to get out there you know make a new friend make a connection um and create value right at least get started you don't have to wait till you find said person to get started get started but as you're learning you know proactively seeking it out like seeking the helping hand not to just 
give you opportunity really just to teach you the things that you feel you don't know that that person would know because they've done it. You know, that's why I'm like the mentors I've had have been in powerlifting, they've been in finance, you know, they've been in the things that relate to the things that I want to achieve, right? I seek out the ones that have mastered it. And I'm like, okay, when I talk to them about these things I'm struggling with to figure out, you know, you can only read so much books and then, you know, there's a lot of different ways to skin a cat, right? So if you try and self-educate only with audible books, for example, only with comments on YouTube section or YouTube videos or whatever, you know, if that's your main go-to for educating, you're going to end up confused, right? Because there are so many opinions about the right way to do a particular thing, no matter what it is, right? The, 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 the right way to achieve what you want to achieve. There's so many different opinions about that on the internet. So you can really dial that down, uh, narrow that down into the people that are in your immediate circle and see who has achieved that around me, you know, whatever that is. I'm just saying it, the general concept of finding a mentor. Um, and once you find that, you know, value that, cherish it, because those people don't come along in your life very often, you know, like mm -hmm. life isn't just going to keep throwing you opportunity and people that want to help you. So, you know, the second you find that person and they're going to come at different stages in your life, um, I say learn the most you can, because even at this moment, um, or I'm opening a gym, for example, and this is the last I'll say about this, and then we'll wrap up. Um, I've spoken with several super successful gym owners. One has 13,000 members. Another started Gold's Gym back in 1983. He sold 700 locations. I mean, because I, I want to pick their brain, right? These men are in their 70s. They've seen it all, done it all. They understand the the back of their hand. It's just easy for them. I want to pick their brain because I know like they've achieved what I want to achieve. So there is really no fast track besides that, you know, just them passing down that knowledge to the next generation, which is me, right? And sure, I can probably pull it off without them to an extent, but with the information that they can provide, and especially from several different ones that have gotten where I want to be, it just really sets, really sets me up for success, right? And you can apply the same principle to whatever you're trying to achieve, right? But Again, it starts with creating that value because when people see that you're hungry, that you're ambitious and you're busting your ass to achieve your goals and you're actively seeking help, not just a handout, but you're seeking guidance, people will jump at that. People that are successful, like they're going to be happy to help you. My most fulfilling moment in life right now has been discovering Andrew Jack in the parking lot, basically forcing him to make social media to get on Instagram and start posting his journey. And then now he's on the Olympia stage, living a very comfortable life. Like he's he's graduated so much from being a PT in Dubai that no one knows to now being world famous bodybuilder, Andrew Jack, that everyone knows. And I was a big part of that. And that is fulfillment for me, right? I mean, adding more zeros to my bank account and my portfolio isn't going to create more happiness. It just creates more security. It just pushes back the fear of, okay, well, one day, what if I lose everything because I'm broke? Like, that's what it protects me from. And that gives me a sense of like well-being. But the fulfillment is really from like having the position to help others. So that's why I'm like, with the, when the kids are listening to this, when they're watching and trying to say, well, you know, I don't want to impose. I don't want to like I'm, you know, bothering them. And, you know, maybe they want to help me because, you know, they're too busy. I'm like, you don't know until you ask. And that could really change your life because it changed mine. I really, really love that, that you said that. And I think that's a really laudable thing that you do. Um, I think a lot of people feel um, a lack of abundance, especially in, say, the fitness industry or when everyone's working for 
some higher status or clout. Um, but not only is that laudable, I do think that's the way that we can create an undying legacy. It's not just by being great, but by helping others and helping the younger generation. And that's just how you just you just live. You just keep living, living forever by helping. Yeah. I just want to say that because um, I feel like my closest mentor in the industry or the one that I feel like has helped me the most. There's two people. One of them is Chris Clark. He was, he used to be with Jim Shark. He doesn't do as much anymore. And then the other one was Joe, Joe Statics. And, um, okay. Yeah. Cause like we, we always did the same kind of content, you know? So he would always help me to be, we'd be talking about swipe workouts and all that shit and like reels and how it works. And he'd just always be so fucking helpful. And it felt like for little to nothing in return, you know? And, um, all I see, like, all I see there, honestly, is just love. And just, I just have so much appreciation for that because I feel like he just really wanted to give. So I appreciate that you do that as well. No doubt. I feel like we're obliged to. You know, mm -hmm. we've been put in a very privileged position mm -hmm. and that's our job. And I also had a conversation with uh, David Pinsoff, who is the creator of Cards Against Humanity. And he said that, um, you know, the thing is we're all in this endless competition for higher status. But the one way that we can continue to grow as a um as a uh as a species is through the next generation and that's how we do continue to grow because the next generation always tops the previous one always so by helping them that's how we can work together and like become one so we don't have to always be head to head you know in a fight or a competition for who's better well said i like that all right, so brings me to the last question. This is a question I ask everybody at the end of each podcast, but if you were to die tomorrow and you had one message you could broadcast to the world, what would that message be? Hmm, that would be the same message I advise with young kids uh, entering adulthood, and that would be to pace yourself. And I won't get into a long spiel about why I say that, but everything I can think of in the last few years since I can remember has just been a rush. And my biggest issue above everything, my biggest weakness has been patience, you know? And if I had a bit more of that, I would have avoided a lot of ugly situations and big mistakes. Nice. Oh yeah. Awesome. Thanks for coming on this podcast, man. That was freaking awesome. I can't believe we went this long. <laughs> Lots of good questions, bro. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Where can everybody find you? Find me over at Larry wheels on all socials and for Snapchat, Larry PR wheels, Lastly, if you're anywhere near the Claremont, California, San Dimas area, Ryan and I are opening a gym. It's about 14,000 square feet, and it's a mixture of bodybuilding, powerlifting, more information on the website, which is coming soon. And we're looking at opening very early next year. We're not committed to a date yet, but we'd love to have you. We're, we've committed already for students, only 50 bucks a month, right? Uh, when I was, Damn. when bro, when nice. I, here's the thing, right? When I was a teenager, and I wanted to be a great powerlifter, I couldn't find a single gym that was anywhere within a two-hour commute near me that had the equipment I needed to have. So I would feel ecstatic to be able to give that back to all the powerlifters out there that really want to break state and national and world records, but don't have the equipment, especially because they're not living here in LA where they can easily find it maybe at Zoo Culture or many of the other gyms that are here. It's very saturated in this market. That's why I went out there because places like that, right? There's nothing but corporate gyms, you know, like Fitness 19, LA Fitness 24, for example. So you can't become a world-class powerlifter without competition-grade equipment.
right? You can only get so far. So to be able to offer that to the next generation, like we're just talking about, the 14 to 18 year old kids that want to make it big, but they just don't have the equipment, like that's what I'm looking forward to the most. And by pricing them out, like, hey, we're going to charge a buck 50 a month because I'm Larry Wheels and we can charge a premium. No, man, I want the kids to be up in there throwing chalk around, slamming their belt down, making noise creating that atmosphere that I thrived for when I was a teenager. I hated the commercial gym vibe where it's like you see like grandma, grandpa falling asleep on the elliptical, people on their phone, not even breaking a sweat. That's the worst environment to train and be the best in. Give me the loud gym. Give me the gym where people are shaking from mid deadlift set because they're hitting a new PR or maybe they just failed an attempt. Like I want that atmosphere where everyone's like pushing themselves to the limit. And with Ryan's team being all pro Olympian bodybuilders that he's coached over the last 20 some years and having them there training next to the aspiring powerlifter, it's going to be a very unique environment. And that's yeah. what I'm really looking forward to, not just as like a business, but like just to train there every day in a place for me to call my second home. Hell yeah, dude. Fuck yeah. I'm looking forward to it too. Hell yeah. Can't wait to check it out. Thanks, brother. Absolutely. So everybody, Larry, um, I'm sure you're already following him, but if you don't, check out his stuff. Fucking savage. And then if you guys would like to support the podcast, the best way and non-cost way is to support is to uh, rate us a five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you find your podcasts, and also subscribing to the YouTube channel. It helps a lot and helps me get much bigger and greater guests like Larry. Um, and also, if you'd like to, um, or if you feel symptoms of low T or um, are interested in any of the things that we talked about in the podcast, um, I think both of us actually, right? Yeah. Are part of Transcend HRT. That's right. Yeah, so Transcend HRT is our HRT company. It's where we get our testosterone or TRT and some other things. Um, and you guys can go check them out by like clicking my link below. And I'm sure Larry has his own link. Probably. Where, where's your link? Oh, you can find my link in my Instagram bio. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, that's it. Thanks guys. Love you guys. Transcend. Peace. Transcend. On the next one. See you guys. Take it easy.